again, time being 7 o'clock, I call the August 16th, 2023 meeting of the Franklin Town Council to order. Please pause for a moment of silence. Please stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Announcements from the chair. All citizens are now welcome to attend public board and committee meetings in person. Meetings are live streamed by Franklin TV and shown on Comcast Channel 11 and Verizon Channel 29. In an effort to maximize citizen engagement opportunities, citizens will be able to continue to participate remotely via phone where you may click the Zoom link that is on the posted agenda and on the town's website. The call-in number is 929-205-6099 and enter the meeting ID, which is 856-7246-7539. Then you need to hit the pound sign. Once again, the meeting ID, 856-7246. 7539 If residents are just interested in watching the meeting, it will also be live streamed by Franklin TV. Uh, another uh, announcement from the chair, Councilor Jones is uh, traveling this week, so he will not be here. Councilor Hamblin will act as clerk for this evening's meeting. <laughs> This is going to be fun. <laughs> uh, citizens' comments. Citizens are welcome to express their views for up to three minutes on a matter that is not on the agenda. The, the council will not engage in a dialogue or comment on a matter raised during citizens' comments. The town council will give remarks appropriate consideration and may ask the town administrator to review the matter. Is there anyone in council chambers who would like to speak on an item not on tonight's agenda? Please come forward and just name an address, please. Just one more. Yeah, that one's fine. Jane Calloway Tripp, and I'm at 607 Maple Street in Franklin. I came in front of this council in 2018, and I complained about the street drains and the culvert on Maple Street that had not been maintained for close to 10 years on the culvert, seven years on the drain. Got it taken care of and it was cleared. I've had no flooding issues at all, till recently. My entire basement was flooded because the drains could not take the water and the culvert is overgrown. Right now I have 20 fans drying my downstairs my floors had to be ripped up and will have to be replaced. I have lost furniture, shoes, clothes, thousands of dollars worth of um, stuff, including electrical equipment, some things I can't get back because they belong to my mom. I am be more than angry because if 
in 2018, I was told there is a maintenance program for the culverts and the drains. Five years later, and they have not been done. So either I was lied to, or it just wasn't important enough to take care of. Two neighbors down the street from me weren't even home. Two feet of water in their basement. This is not okay. I lost a van when a tree fell on my van and totaled it. Asked the town to take the tree down. Wouldn't do it, just pruned it. Okay, fine. Tree landed on my husband's car, damaged that. Have to fix that now. Now, whatever my insurance doesn't cover for this is out-of-pocket expenses. I am done spending money that I don't have to fix, repair, and replace the things that shouldn't be getting damaged if the things in the town are maintained. I don't care if there are flowers downtown. I don't care if we have bike paths. I don't care if the zoning laws are changed or not. None of that matters. What matters is the existing things that are in place to make sure that the people who pay taxes in this town can live comfortably are being neglected. As far as I am concerned, whatever my insurance does not cover, I do expect to be reimbursed by the town. Because had you done the drains and the culvert, and I have pictures of the culvert that I actually took tonight on my way here, which I will be glad to show you, I would not have flooded. The reason I flooded is because the water was pouring in at such a fast rate under my garage that even my sump pump couldn't handle it. If that culvert is cleared and those drains are cleared, I would not flood from the street. So I'm back. And unfortunately, I'm being brought back for the same reason that I started out in the first place, because I flooded and I'm not happy about it. I want those drains and I want that culvert cleaned. With the amount of rain that we're getting, you can't just wait. And I'm not the only one on Maple Street. As far as everybody else in town who's been flooding, and I know a lot of people did, I don't know the personal reasons as to what caused their flood. Maybe it has to do with the town drains, maybe it doesn't. But my specific reason, my neighbor's specific reason, it is that drain and that culvert. Those are imperative. I can't keep replacing and damaging all of my belongings. It's not fair. I pay enough in taxes and fees in this town. I shouldn't have to redo my bottom, my whole bottom level. And it's a mess. If you would like to come to my house and see the disaster I've been left with, not to mention the dumpster now that I have to get because I've had to throw everything out. Anything that touched that water has to be tossed. One pair of my shoes I tried to save. 24 hours later, the amount of bacteria and spores that were growing on it Nothing that touched that water is salvageable because it's bacteria filled. So for my family's safety, all of it has to go to include the furniture downstairs. And I wouldn't, you, none of you would expect to have to live that way either. So I would like this addressed and I would like it taken care of like yesterday. Thank you. Thank you, Jane. Is there anyone else in council chambers that would like to speak on an item not on tonight's agenda. Please. Good evening, Nancy Danello. Oh, that's who you are. Town clerk. <laughs> <laughs> Elections. Okay, biennial town election, November 7th. You're gonna get sick of seeing me. I know I apologize, yeah. but thank yeah. you, thank you. So just some important dates. Nomination papers are now available. 
and a lot of you have, most of you here have come and um, pulled your papers. I was gonna go over the list of everybody who's pulled papers, but it is on my website. I will go over the boards and committees that we still have, um, that we don't have a full slate for. Okay, so Board of Health, it's um, a vote for two. I only have one, so there's one more seat available. Constables, vote for three, and um, I only have two, so again, there's one seat available. School committee, um, vote for seven, and I only have six, so there's one seat available. So come and see me, pull your nomination papers. I will walk you through the process, and any questions, I will be more than happy to answer. Um, so with the changes in the spreadsheet and people pulling papers and people returning their papers, I do update the website on a daily basis. So if you're interested in seeing who's returned their nomination papers, who was withdrawn, um, just log into franklinma.gov and go into the town clerk's page. And I also update Steve Sherlock and Alan Earls on a, sorry Steve, daily basis. And Lily also updates the social media page as well. So any questions, please reach out to me. Um, and come and see me, pull those papers, please. If no one pulls papers, you know, we have write-ins, we'll have to go down the list and approach people who have been written in. Um, so come see me, that's it. Do you, do you have any questions for me? I know, no? Okay, I have no information. Oh, that's right, I'm sorry. Um, I have no information on the uh, Tri-County yet on the um, election for that. All I know is the date and the time. As soon as I get any information on that, I will update the citizens as well. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Nancy. Is there any, please come forward. Good evening, I'm Ken Elmore. I am at 29th School Street. I also have had the wonderful pleasure of serving as the president of Dean College over the course of the last year. I was here a year ago and I hope that what I can do is to come back uh, and give an update about the last year at Dean. In particular, how we have been stewards, I think, of the public trust, how we've been financial drivers at Franklin, and what's more, how we've been trying to work with community organizations and agencies. I'd love to give you an update and make the request that I'd be able to do that at the next council meeting. Thanks. Thank you, Ken. Is there anyone else in council chambers that would like on a, like to speak on an item not on tonight's agenda? Is there anyone out there in Zoom land that would like to speak on an item not on tonight's agenda? I don't see any hands. Do you, Jacob? No. No. Okay, moving on. Approval of minutes. We have none this evening. Proclamations and recognitions, none this evening. The next uh, item is appointment. We have one to the Agricultural Commission, uh, Daniel Morse, and I'd like, like the clerk to read the appointment. I'd be honored to, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Appointments to the Agricultural Commission, Daniel Morse. 15 Spring Street, Franklin, Mass, 02038. Town Administrator has recommended the appointment of Daniel Morse to serve as the member of the Agricultural Commission with a term to expire on June 30th, 2026. 
motion to ratify the appointment by the town administrator of Daniel Morris to serve as a member of the Agricultural Commission. Second. Motion and second. Discussion, Jamie. Dan's been doing a great job. I think Councilman Hamlin does that well. He's been an associate, I think, for two years now, so he's moving from an associate role uh, into an at-large role. Thank you, Jamie. Any questions or comments from the Council? Seeing none, the vote will come on the motion. All those in favor, signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries. Eight zero. Right. Okay. Thank you. Uh, okay. Public hearings. We have uh, two this evening, and let's open the first public hearing on zoning bylaw amendment 23-898, a zoning bylaw to amend the Franklin Town Code at Chapter 185, Attachment 9, Schedule of Lot area, frontage, yard, and height requirements. Jamie, you wanna? Sure, um, just gonna ask Brian to uh, come on up here as well, but um, really quickly, Mr. Chairman, so this is a, uh, a bylaw amendment that is exclusive to general residential five zoning district. It's for the public edification, that's um, the areas around the downtown commercial on uh, some areas on Dean Ave, Ruggles, a sliver of Milliken, uh, a little portion down Cottage Street. So really around your downtown commercial area, there's an area around they call General Residential 5. I'm gonna do absolutely the best I can to keep it as simple and understandable as possible. The next one, Councilor Chan, we've got the map with the in and out. It's a little easier. Um, Brian's gonna walk through really quickly. Um, this does not propose to change any zoning lines. Okay, just so that everybody understands. And it's just simply exclusive um, to some of the regulatory issues that um, that was just uh, read by Councilor Hamlin. And um, I just, afterwards, I just wanna mention that um, this did go through the EDC. I'm sure Councilor Hamlin will also uh, dig in a little deeper. The proposal that's before you tonight is actually the proposal that was un unanimously endorsed by the Economic Development Subcommittee. Um, the planning board had uh, returned a recommendation to all of you with just a small reduction in the percentages of impervious surface. Um, and so uh, the decision before the council tonight is to go back to the planning board recommendation or stand with the economic development subcommittee recommendation. Um, and uh, Brian's gonna go through the numbers very quickly. There's a chart in the memo which clearly explains the percentages and where they're going. Um, and this mainly has to do with um, coverage of a lot, okay? Just the coverage of impervious surface, either via a structure and or paving. It just simply deals with the ratios of how much can be covered on a lot, okay? So I hope I frame that as narrow as possible so that people can just focus in so it's not other things. It's just very, very small changes um, to these percentages. Brian? Well, you just covered it all, Jim. <laughs> Let's vote. Um, it's a hearing. Uh, it's on the road. Thank you. Good picture. Um, what's being proposed is two very small changes uh, in our, uh, our regulations for uh, and both of them are in uh, attachment nine, which is a schedule of lot area, frontage, yard, and height requirements in the zoning. Um, as town administrator mentioned, 
we are proposing to increase the amount of impervious area allowed on the lot. So if there's a, a development about to happen, right now um, they can cover 30% of the lot uh, with their structure, an additional 5% can be can be paving and things. So your total 35%. We were proposing, um, where'd we end up? Is it, was we went back and forth a little so bit. I think right now we're at 45%. So it, we're proposing an additional 5% um, on the, uh, the structures and going an additional 10% on, on uh, the paving, so it would be up to 45% total. So that's almost half of the lot can be impervious surface. The remainder has to be impervious where the water goes through. So that includes all your, your, your roofs, uh, any uh, walkways, pavement, anything of that nature that is impervious. It maxes out it with the changes that are proposed at 45%. The other change that takes place is actually uh, we're proposing is in the uh, the notes in, in, at the bottom, um, we are uh, proposing a change to note seven. Permitted residential uses must observe requirements of general residential five district for residential use building only. Um, there are mixed use buildings that right now are currently exempt from that. Uh, we're proposing that multifamily residential with three family units and mixed use buildings are exempt. So we're, instead of putting very strict requirements on a three family, which is something we added into the uh, use de definitions not that long ago, um, we're proposing that that's exempt from it. It's a very small change and uh, I don't see it, um, if anything, it's going to increase a, uh, the a three, three family, uh, three unit housing in, in, in the general residential five area. Um, I'd be happy to take any questions you have. Um, it's been uh, to the planning board uh, for their public hearing. Um, and I believe we're, uh, I don't think we've had any major concerns other than the debate a little bit about uh, what percentage impervious should be. Thank you, Brian. Questions from the council? Councilor Hamlin. You want me to go? Yes, please. <laughs> um, thank you, Mr. Chairman, through the chair. Uh, I'd like to thank Brian and the staff for all the work on this. You know, we come up with all these different changes. They might be small changes, but they take a lot of time to think through and to go through. Um, and I think the uh, wording of number seven, the note in number seven, the number seven note and the um, attachment number nine is perfect. This is what um, the planning board all agreed on as well. We all agreed that that was great. But um, I just want to remind people again why we're doing this and why we're doing all these zoning changes, right? So it's allowed, it's to allow for incremental changes in density to increase housing stock, to allow for a feasible development that would fit what people want to see, what we learned through the Franklin for All project. Um, it, we do that without increasing infrastructure and the cost to the town. So that's, that's our goal, right? Um, to create a vibrant downtown, for the people shopping and eating, uh, where they feel safe and comfortable, to meet and maybe even exceed the MBTA community requirements. And why downtown? Everybody says, well, why is it always downtown? It's like, because um, downtown holds the greatest potential for new growth, 
and to boost our local receipts. Um, we did have a, a we did have a, um, a disagreement about the percentage of, of maximum impervious coverage, and I think the proposal that went to the EDC from the EDC to the town council recently, then to the planning board, is actually 55% um, maximum impervious coverage, and um, we picked that because it it goes along with what the MAPC recommended for this zone. Um, so my worry is that if we have 18 units per acre um, by right and a 45% maximum impervious coverage, we might get taller buildings, and that's not what people want to see. They want to see them a little bit wider and, and um, shorter. So um, I, I still haven't heard a, a good argument against why we shouldn't cover the MAPC um, or, go with, or use that recommendation. It's at least 50%. Um, and I and maybe maybe Brian can answer like does he does he is it okay why can't we follow what the MAPC has said to us to to do? There's um, it's just a matter of mathematics and if you figure out how many units are allowed and uh, approximately what size and things, um, I I realize that whether you go 45 or 50 percent or 55 is not a big deal. So I'm not here to fight about any specific, uh, if we needed to increase the percentage, uh, without a doubt. Um, one of the things that uh, we require with our zoning is parking spaces for each apartment or housing unit. And if you don't increase it from the existing 35%, you're not gonna get enough uh, parking spaces to cover all the housing units unless right. you do go up, right. uh, you know, I mean, unless they're much bigger housing units, and whatever the case may be. Um, so we do need to increase it. So I don't have an objection to changing to a maximum of 50% or whatever the council comes up with. I think it's a, it's a matter of, uh, of policy uh, at, at the council level at this point. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Any other, uh, Councilor Chandler? Through you, Mr. Chairman. Um, before I start my comments, I'm not asking the EDC any questions, so I'm gonna lose my time. Um, it looks like, obviously, our council subcommittee voted unanimously for the 45-55, and the planning board voted unanimously to put it down to 35-45. And I was happy to hear you say that you didn't really, you weren't gonna fight about it either way because it seems like everything that this council sends to the planning board, they come back with their own idea. And I, I just see how hard our subcommittee works on this. So I'm inclined to agree with our subcommittee because we voted unanimously to send it that way. And, um, I see nothing wrong with the 45-55. And you just said that yourself, um, Brian. So let me see what else we have here. And even, um, I just heard that higher number could even help with the housing stock. So there's some arguments to be made here. And um, 
I learned, I think a lot of people at home just heard something, they'd like an answer to this. What is, how many floors can a uh, building be in Franklin right now? In, in most districts, yeah. without getting a special permit, you can get three floors. Three floors. So if you had housing in um, general residential five, for instance, where we're talking about here, they can have three floors by right. Um, if they, and which is what we want to keep it to. We don't want to keep going at additional level in a residential area, but they can seek a special permit for the additional fourth floor. Okay, so all that is by special permit, all the four and the fives. Yeah, like right. four. Say EMC building was a special permit. When it was built, we, I, I assume it was, but it would, it would definitely would be today. Okay, and in closing, I, I would hope that maybe people on the committee from our board here would stick to the guns a little and say this is what we want. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Councilor Chandler. Any other questions or comments from the council? Anyone in council chambers? Please just come forward, name and address, please. My name is Maxwell Marangello. I live at 127 Central Park Terrace. Um, in, I'm short, I apologize. <laughs> in general, I'm in support of uh, multifamily housing. Uh, and sort of more denser housing development. I did just have a question about the environmental impacts. Uh, we're talking about impervious surfaces. I assume that's true, uh, in regards to drainage and that kind of thing. We just had a, council, a, a member of our community who had issues with flooding. So I was just curious as to whether, how that in impacts runoff, flooding, whether there's any um, environmental impacts that can be mitigated through zoning to sort of alleviate that if that is an issue or if it's just so low a number anyway, does it make much of a difference? Thank you. Thank you, Max. Uh, Jamie? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Really quick, that's a great question uh, that Max has. So just as a reminder, a lot of the development that some people are having drainage issues with in town were built well before our stormwater bylaw. And so any development that would go forward now would be susceptible to um, the utility costs, which then gets reinvested back into public infrastructure. So um, I think the key here is, um, is that when you work with setbacks, frontage, and you start chipping away at the requirements in our code, I think the message that um, MAPC and many that showed up at the hearings are trying to say is if we're trying to get that third unit uh, from a two to a three, you know, un a third unit or an ADU or whatever, when you start looking at parking requirements, setbacks, other requirements, trees, vegetation, the lot shrinks quickly. <laughs> And I think Brian nailed it with the parking requirements. Um, you know, I think a, a, a property owner will just need the additional um, percentage flexibility to be able to customize that lot um, to make sure that they can get that unit and keep the parking, drainage, other personal responsibilities on that lot, right? On that lot. That's the key. That's a key piece. So all of those responsibilities don't end up in the road. <laughs> And, um, and that the builder can actually go through the buy right process. Um, and I think to Councilor Chandler's point too, I, I'm, I'm, I agree with Brian on this um, and the EDC. Um, at some point it just becomes about flipping a coin and semantics, but I think what we heard from people that want to develop properties and get that additional unit, um, you know, you need that flexibility of that additional space to be able to, to meet all the other setback requirements. Thank you. Thank you, Jamie. Any other questions, please? Actually, it is a question. Um, 
this is regarding apartment buildings, correct? For building, no. being able to build no, apartments? No. Am I misunderstanding? It's, it's again, G, GR5, GR5, just to define it, is around the further end of Dean Ave, it really wouldn't actually occupy any parcels because 117 Dean Ave is already built. If you look at actually the map with the parcels that are in this zoning district, very hot, we're not talking about apartment buildings, we're talking about a double decker or a two floor maybe with a third attic, maybe a third unit, but the parking requirements, the setbacks, they need that additional space. So basically somebody that. owns like a, hand, uh, a multi-family home multi -family. and they want to rent out like a floor. Exactly. Right. Yep. Yeah. Okay. As a legal unit. <laughs> so, <laughs> that would be good. I had to, I had to clause that. I'm on camera. <laughs> uh, is there anyone else in council chambers has a question? Anyone out in Zoom land? Is there a hand? No, that's the... Oh. That's the town administrator. He's over there, yeah. Okay, seeing no further questions, I will declare the uh, public hearing on zoning bylaw amendment 23-898 closed. And uh, since we were just talking about it, I will, uh, with the council's indulgence, I will move up the legislation for action. Zoning bylaw amendment uh, 23-898, zoning bylaw to amend the Franklin Town Code at chapter 185, attachment nine, schedule of lot, area, frontage, yard and height requirements. First reading, I'd ask the clerk to read the bylaw amendment. Why do you want to smirk when you say clerk? <laughs> I would be happy to read this, uh, Mr. Chairman. Town of Franklin Zoning Bylaw Amendment 23-898, a zoning bylaw to amend the Franklin Town Code at Chapter 185, Attachment 9, Schedule of Lot, Area, Frontage, Yard, and Height Requirements. Be enacted by the Town Council that Chapter 185 of the Town of the, of the Code of the Town of Franklin is hereby amended by the following following additions to 180, oh, and deletions are crossed out. Uh, one, chapter 185, attachment nine, schedule of lot, area, frontage, yard, and height requirements. And so these are the um, changes on general residential five, 30, the, the maximum impervious coverage for structures is, will be changed from 30 to 45. The maximum impervious coverage of structures plus paving will be raised from 35 to 55. There's an additional addition on the note number seven. It says Permit, permitted residential uses must be observed to observe requirements of general residential five district for residential use building only. Multifamily residential with three family housing units and that's gonna be added in mixed-use buildings are exempt from this requirement. <laughs> I'll find it. Oh, wait, wait, where is it? Here. The foregoing the zoning bylaw amendment will take effect in accordance with the Franklin Home Rule Charter and Massachusetts General Law, Chapter 40A, Section 5. Move bylaw amendment 23 898 to the second reading. Second. Motion in the second. 
Discussion on the motion. Seeing none, up, oh, Councilor Pellegrini. Um, through the chair. So we are keeping, um, changing the 35 to 55 for residential five. Yes. Okay, nothing was changed tonight on this. Correct. Okay, just wanna make sure. Yep. Any further questions? <clears throat> Seeing none, the vote will come on the motion to Move zoning bylaw amendment 23-898 to a second reading. All those in favor, signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries. Thanks, zero, sir. Thank you. Okay, I'll now declare the public hearing open on zoning bylaw amendment 23-899, marijuana use overlay district, a zoning bylaw amendment to the code of the Town of Franklin at Chapter 185, Section 5, Zoning Act. Jamie. Yeah, so through you, Mr. Chairman, I added up onto the, this being a public hearing, I thought it would just be good to show everybody exactly what we're talking about here. So this is the uh, Marijuana Overlay District. This was uh, created in 2017 after the ballot question was passed. Um, the overlay is in the industrial parks. For all intents and purposes, you can see them right here. Um, uh, with Forge, Park, Grove, and Constitution. Um, and right up, uh, for those of you out there who are, uh, who struggle sometimes with zoning and to understand this very complicated language, this one's a good one. It's a house cleaning item. Um, the good news is, is, is the town really, in the last six years, we've been very fortunate to uh, attract some, uh, some uh, elite uh, cannabis industry businesses that are doing very well. We've had a lot of feedback over the years from, particularly uh, just as an example, you'll see on the map X's. These are the parcels that are currently in the bylaw and these are the ones that are add, will be added in. I'll have Brian explain why in a moment, but just for an example, the house cleaning nature of this is, this is where the YMCA is. And these other parcels used to qualify but um, we've gotten feedback that you know when we did this house cleaning item, it'd be great um, if some of these other parcels came off. There's no, been no business opportunities up in that area because you're within a distance, obviously, um, uh, of a childcare institution. Um, and then really quickly, here's the um, Grove Street corridor on Kenwood. Um, you know, these ones over here have been taken off the bylaw because of the Amigo School. Um, I can't remember the requirements, Brian will talk about it in a second, but you have to be a certain distance from the edge of a property line from a religious or educational institution. So, um, and then there was one over here that got added. Um, things have just changed, the use of parcels. Actually, at the end of Kenwood at one point, there was a church at the end of Kenwood Circle. There isn't anymore, so this used to be prohibited, but now actually the end of Kenwood Circle uh, is, is uh, right for development. Um, and then third, Constitution, um, <laughs> you know, I guess, is that EMC? That uh, is, I mean, that is EMC. that's an 800,000 square foot building, uh, EMC Dell, um, we took that off. Um, that would be a really, really, really big facility. Um, <laughs> for those of you for context, if you go up to Netta and Forge Park, that's 80,000 square feet. If you go down and see the new building on Grove Street, that's gonna be a, you know, really 50 or 60,000 square feet. Um, so if those are like large, you can only imagine 800, 750,000 square feet is really, really big. 
Um, and then a couple of other parcels over here off of Upper Union got added due to, again, property changes in we, we don't anticipate, um, as a brief update, um, you know, we, I think the industry in general, as many people have seen in the news, has pretty much leveled off. Um, and we feel like these basic house cleaning changes are worth putting in. Um, you know, it's certainly slowed down. My office doesn't get many calls anymore from businesses looking for places to go. Um, there's still a couple that have, are in the permitting process um, on Grove, but after that, I don't expect uh, a tremendous amount more uh, of business growth in this industry in Franklin. Um, we could, but I don't expect it uh, much. So, Brian, if you could just maybe talk about some of the criteria and requirements. Uh, sure. Um, the requirements um, are that uh, our, our marijuana overlay district is to the west of 495. It has to be in an industrial zone, and it cannot be within 200 feet of certain items and 500 feet of other items. So 500 feet are schools and 200 feet are daycares and things of that nature. Um, the, the map that was shown with EMC, um, we, we could have left it on there, with it when we would have left it on there, but there's actually just to the north of it, there's a daycare. So that's the reason it was taken out. Otherwise, we would have just left it in the map and it really wouldn't matter too much. Um, so just when we, we go through, we just check what the uses are, and we add and delete, uh, and then we update the maps. And that's simple, it's really simply what we did. So anything specific, I'll be happy to answer questions. Thank you, Brian. Questions from the council? Councilor Comey Ledger. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Brian, are the parcels on these maps added because others were taken away and we have a requirement to have a certain percentage or are they added simply because they've now become available and could be used by the marijuana industry? The latter. There's really no, it, there's no requirements on size. Okay, and for just my own clarification and maybe those listening, is there a restriction on the number of marijuana facilities that can be in our town? Um, not really. I think that's more Jamie question in a way, but I don't think there's really any restriction on whether you can have three or four or five or ten. I think uh, it's really a, a, it's a zoning issue. If the person, if the parcel is zoned for it appropriately, they can seek a special permit for it. Uh, yeah, just through you, Mr. Chairman, uh, there is no quota uh, in Franklin on the amount of licenses. Just so the public's aware, we don't do the licensing. The licensing is all through the state. Um, we do the permitting, um, kind of similar to like liquor licensing. I mean, we do the land use stuff. Um, the town could put in a quota. Um, communities like Brookline and I think Boston and some others have put in a maximum amount of licenses. Um, we've never seen the need because we've never had more than three proposed locations and two of those um, you know have been pretty successful businesses uh, Netta uh, in particular is the largest uh, manufacturer uh, on the east uh, east of the Mississippi River uh, they own several buildings in Franklin they've been a huge corporate partner in the town and Botera on West Central Street um, was actually one of the state's first equity applicants um, and so we're very proud to have them here as well and they've been a great community partner as well there was a third that was permitted on Grove Street, but it hasn't come to fruition. Um, 
And I think part of that is just the settling out of the marketplace. You know, I, I you know, and I think we haven't had a call in I can't remember the last time, five years probably, yeah. um, of another retail operation. So if we ever see the need down the, down the line, Council of Ledger, the town does have the ability to put in a quota. Um, we've just never seen that much interest where a quota would be needed. Thank you. Thank you. All set, Council Cormillan. Council Sheridan. I'm just curious, so if a church opens up near a marijuana place, does the marijuana place have to move? Or? No, okay. no. It's who, if if the church was not, you know, it's yeah. not there and they move in, we're not going to make the barrel. Okay. 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 All set, Councilor Schindler. Councilor Frangelo. I just point out quickly that we often think of uh, retail facilities and at some points uh, growth facilities. There's also like pretty large manufacturing facilities yeah, in, in the middle uh, that it's just trucks coming in and out and money for us without um, changing. You know, it's, not, it's not a, a customer-facing uh, entity. Um, and so if there are entities like that that, that want to call Frank at home in the industrial park, uh, go for it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> go for it. Uh, any other counselors? Anyone in council chambers? How about anyone out there in Zoom land? Okay, seeing none, I will declare the public hearing on zoning bylaw amendment 23-899 closed. And we'll move the legislation for action. Zoning bylaw amendment 23-899, marijuana use overlay district. A zoning bylaw amendment to the code of the town of Franklin at Chapter 185, Section 5, Zoning Map. First reading. Clerk will read the bylaw amendment. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Through the chair. Town of Franklin Zoning Bylaw Amendment 23-899, Marijuana Use Overlay District. A zoning bylaw amendment to the town to the code of the town of Franklin at Chapter 185, Section 5, Zoning Map. Be it enacted by the town council that the code of town code of the town of Franklin this really isn't that easy. <laughs> 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 it would be nice to declare. Don't, don't, don't tell Glenn. Anyway. With <laughs> 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 the zoning map of the town of Franklin be amended by deleting the marijuana use overlay district and the following seven parcels of land as shown on the town of Franklin's assessor's map. Parcel number 288-004. Motion by the reading. Motion to second to waive the reading. All those in favor of waiving, waiving the reading, signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries. Low bylaw amendment 23-899 to a second reading. Second. Motion and a second. Discussion? Seeing none, the vote will come on the motion to move Bylaw Amendment 23-899 to a second reading. Again, a majority votes required. All those in favor, signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion carries. Thank you. Okay. <clears throat> Moving back to uh, 
presentations and discussions. We have a couple this evening, and the first is one of our favorite visitors. Uh, a presentation from the DPW Projects Update. Louis Garrett, DPW Director. I'll let you introduce your team. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, sample today is um, Mike Daglos, town engineer, and also Doug Martin, he's the water and sewer superintendent. I'm also joined by uh, Carlos Rebello, the highway ground superintendent, Tony Bernetta, the assistant highway ground superintendent, uh, Derek Adams, the stormwater environmental affairs superintendent, and then uh, Kate, the great Chober, who's in charge of our uh, GIS. <laughs> Take the win, Kate. I like to embarrass. You're doing a good job. She, and she's doing a better job. She's, yeah. she's, she's really good. So. so thank you, Mr. Chairman. So um, just to come in and give you a couple updates on things, what's going on. So our current project update, uh, the Janie Ave neighborhood, water main replacement, uh, about a $750,000 job. That was actually uh, completed really actually early in the spring. Is our, um, uh, it's a great water job. We bid early. Um, the contractor had um, uh, pipe that he already purchased because pipe can take up to, I mean, we've heard anything like 50 weeks now. So um, he came in here. He's a contractor working in town before. He likes working in town of Franklin. Um, so he came in early, got it done, and uh, it was actually got a very good price on it. Um, Grove Street Phase 1 traffic signal, Washington Street and Grove. Um, that was finally completed. Um, I think the chairman knows that um, he finally gets to experience it. And um, on a regular basis. On a regular basis, we got to, you know, took, it, it, and I think I said before the other meetings, it was kind of funny that the, the light just took so long to get in. I mean, we used to get these stuff off the shelf, but all of a sudden, you know, COVID, whatever, we couldn't find it. But we finally got that in, and uh, that seemed to be working pretty well. Uh, Arlington Road neighborhood, that's the roadway reconstruction project, that's the area of Pond Street. Um, that was recently just finished up. That, hmm? I mean Union, I'm sorry. That was usually just, um, they're still finishing that up now. Um, but it's also uh, it's also tied into the work we just did on Union Street that's not shown here. We did just the mill and overlay, and I think that whole area of town looks just great. And then, and I gotta tell you, that contractor, a Broken Stone, Phenomenal. I mean, if you drive around other towns and you see the work that sometimes they do, the seams in the road, stuff that I'm looking at all the time, these guys are spot on. I mean, you, you see the cast things. You ever drive down a road and like, not in Franklin, of course, but you drive down a road and you know you hit a cast thing, a sewer manhole, and it bounces everything else. I mean, they did a great job down there. So um, once again, another um, contractor that worked in Franklin before. They like working here. They give us a good, you know, we have to put everything out to bid. Uh, they like working here, they come back, and that's that's because of these guys sitting around. We have such a good working relationship with them. Um, the Grove Street Phase 2, um, this is a multi-use path, part of the SNET. This is a, a grant we got, and basically going to redo all of um, Grove Street from that section we did with the light in Washington all the way down to Kenwood. Um, the numbers came in better than anticipated on that, so we're actually going to be able to add um, uh, basically bike lane type sidewalk oversized sidewalk like we did that's going to further connect Washington streets to Cetra. So Cetra is like freaking awesome. I think if people go down there they've used it. It's really worked out well. So eventually we were hoping to go from the Cetra to Kenwood eventually. Mm -hmm. um, but to be honest that's a million bucks just to do the sidewalk and the drainage and everything out there. So but we're still looking at grants to try to get that done and uh, maybe maybe it happens. But it's a it's 
it's like what we do here, Frank. We're doing things pacing times, and we're you know instead of just not doing it, we, we keep moving along. Brutus, just uh, for people's benefit uh, that are listening, the Genie app. Not, not everybody's going to know what part of town Genie app is. Off of Pond Street, and um, what's these? Where the roads? Just uh, Pond Street, uh, Oak Street Extension, at north of Oak Street Extension, uh, west of Pond Street. Okay, that, that's much. fine. It was just it just said Janie Ave. I'm not sure anybody would know. You, you're right. It's basically the lower side of Pond Street, but it's part of the other neighborhoods. We kind of hit that area. We had done Oak Street Extension a couple years ago. That was like the worst one. Now we hope to go the other way eventually. Part of the um, the uh, you know water line road improvement program that I'll talk about later. More money. Um, but these are kind of some other projects with people where Chilson Park, new field playground development. This is um, about $400,000 grants and in-house work. This is another project that, and I'll say like Mason Street Playground, 450. You know, it's, it's a great thing about Franklin Public Works working with the rec department, getting grants for different things. And then we doing a lot of work in-house, you know, engineering, doing all the design, the inspections out there, uh, particularly for Chilson Park. Working, we put out a bid working, um, you know, a piecemeal type bridge. Those funds came available, we were able to complete that. If people haven't been down there, some people choose Chilson Park as Beaver Street, but down there, um, it's the area behind the turf field. It's really cool. I mean, there's like a Ninja Warrior thing down there. They had the lacrosse thing that was, um, you know, walls for the kids to throw the balls at. Because we were dealing with before the kids throwing the balls against the fence and wrecking the fence, which is obviously a maintenance issue but also a cost but now they actually have a dedicated place to go and it's, and it's really uh, it's really good uh, the complete street grant um, this is we'll be installing this we got a good price in the studio this is to give Mike credit for this one um, sorry to do is part of the money that we got a grant program but we're gonna put in some uh, flashing pedestrian beacons and that's going in on uh, so there'll be one at, uh, on Grove Street at the Snet trailhead and there'll be another one on Lincoln Street at the intersection Sherman Ave Two high traffic areas that um, make sense to have them if you've driven both those areas and you want it. And then we're putting some uh, bike le bike rack locations, uh, the Common and um, down by the MBTA station, um, over on Union Street, and at uh, Chilson Park. We know at the park also. And then, in case the folks at home don't know, we kind of did a rededication of the Sculpture Park, and which is kind of a cool place if you haven't gone down there, and that, and that was a nice. Uh, I'll use the word collaboration with, between the school because they love that word. But public works, we did do did a lot of it, and, and they, they, kids came forward, and it was really a cool event. And pictures show some of the fish up there, but it's just a, it's just a nice thing with uh, we get to do a town reach show. Um, Beaver Street Interceptor Project. A couple things here. Um, we got our notice to proceed. We issued that on um, August 9th. So basically, they got what 1,000 some days. Uh, 30 months. 30. 30 months, yeah. A long time. A long time. Almost three years. So it's a really big project, and it's going to impact everybody in Franklin. I'm telling you that right now. Um, it's a lot of stuff people won't see, but next summer, basically, I don't have a drop dead date, but when we put a pipe down the middle of 140 from Beaver Street up to basically Pond Street, people are going to notice. Um, there's going to be a lot of traffic. There's going to be business going to be impacted. Uh, there's going to be a lot of questions. So us as a team, we got together, we thought about this, we wanted to come up with a model for it. And so this is our, this is our, what you're showcasing tonight is part, keep Franklin flowing. So everything we talk about this, our website's gonna be based on this, you're gonna see a lot of signs. 
keep Franklin flowing. It's our information's gonna be going through there, and this is kind of like, it's a marketing thing. So we kind of done. You wouldn't believe how many poopy emojis are out there. But, uh, we kind of like this one. <laughs> so, uh, but that, yeah, so it, it kind of puts a light on things because I, I'm not gonna kid folks, and we talked about it. It's a big deal. I mean, it's the biggest infrastructure Franklin's ever done. You know, for uh, public infrastructure, I can't compare it to a school, but it's going to impact everybody in a good and bad way. I mean, if we didn't do it, it could be, uh, you know, millions more. Have you been talking about it? No. So yeah, we don't. Huh? Hang on. Yeah. So let's hang on. Don't jinx it. No, but I will say where you guys did a good decision is just because we had those floods last week and up in, what town was it? Um, Tilrecca. Tilrecca. Their sewer main broke. And it's now pouring raw sewage, they have to evacuate neighborhoods, and they're like, this is gonna spend a million dollars. That's like nothing, okay? That's just to get the bypass going. Then they have to fix it, and they have to do everything else, and it's gonna be have to done, 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 done now, which is exponential cost. So what we're doing, that's not gonna happen, and we got a plan, so we're good set, okay? Not about that. Mm -hmm. Hang on, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So this is um, just to give you, I, yeah, I don't even know how to present this to you. Um, the stormwater MS4 permit, part of, so our, we pretty much finished up our first five years and we had to study. We had to do a big study, we had to work, our, you know, our folks did work with a, a consultant to do this. And it's a phosphorus control plan. And what, this is what we have to, what, what EPA is requiring us to do over the next five years, okay? And this is what it's gonna cost us. Through the five years, $30 million. Now, I gotta be honest with you, I don't know where this money's coming from. It doesn't make absolute sense to me. This kind of goes back into why we uh, sued EPA, because part of what we can do is, you know, get a, re a realistic timetable. So we'll be, but we're, we're submitting this. I can't tell you this. How it's gonna be funded, I have no idea. Um, you know, I was talking to my peers then down in Newton. They're looking at $180 million. At least we have land. Think about we gotta do all the stormwater stuff. You know, they got to do it all on the ground. At least, you know, we have places and we can do retrofits. I don't know where they're getting $160 million. And that's for every community that's up the charts. These numbers are astronomical. I'm not sure how it's going to go, but I just got to let you know. And to put in perspective, our average, um, you know, our utility we just went into effect, mm -hmm. which is at $56, which is a little low. We knew that going through it, but we, you know, we got through it. But if we had to do this 300 $30 million in the next five years, the average would go up to $350 per year. I mean, it's like 400%, almost 400% increase. I mean, it's unrealistic, and I think we know that, and so, but that's on the radar screen, I just gotta present it to you. Um, Thanks. Thanks a lot. I know, <laughs> I got more good news. We're, we're gonna keep going. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we're not done yet. It's only yet we got I know. That's not the PFAS. No, we haven't got to that. That's, that's phosphorus. So, one of the things that we do about every five years, our pavement management program and sidewalk plan, and I think we're all familiar with that if we've done this our third iteration of it. So, um, our average uh, our average SRS is now at 71.73. So, it's gone down. We've gone down, not good. Gone down, like, so technically speaking, the way they evaluate our roads, our roads have gotten worse, is, which is what we said would happen because we don't, if you remember, this goes back to the override that we try to do for roads and everything else. Um, and then it used to be, you know, in 2019, it was 
difference back then though we you know and this is there's a lot of different schematics back then it was a 39 million dollar estimate right now our estimates lower to do the roads because we've done a lot of big stuff that we we, we put into it and this is this is one thing that um i want to i, I talked to my staff and i talked to jamie so i basically put some rough numbers together so since 2018 this is what the town's allocated for roads and it, this is a pretty impressive number i got to tell you um, so chapter 90, a wrap might that was supplemental type stuff we got from the state. We basically got about seven million bucks. You know, we talked about chapters. So over the last five years, water funding. Then the water funding is that's part of the road, the waterline road improvement programs. Almost four million dollars we put into our roads. Uh, additional town capital appropriations. This is votes that you guys have made. You know, whether it came from a hotel tax, you know, leftover snow money, whatever it is, capital appropriations for just road work is you know six point seven million dollars that's a lot water capital appropriations that would be specifically above and beyond that we did like the last seven and a half million that was available you know almost another million dollars uh, grants um, hundred fifty two thousand we get a lot of grants but it's very hard to target grants for road work you know we there's grants for stormwater grants for environmental type stuff you know millions of dollars but this so actually, that's actually a pretty good number. And then operating funds, this has gone up and down through the years, but basically that's just in the general fund in my budget. So some years it's been $100,000, some years it's been more. This year you guys had a great appropriation for next year, but that's just for general maintenance that we do the type stuff. So we've almost you know spent over $19 million in um, you know, five years. That, that's a pretty good investment in our just our road, then our whole infrastructure. So. Um, that's something I think the uh, the residents should be happy with, and the council, you know, come up with the money because I think we all know it's always competing things. It's always competing things. Um, and this is kind of like real briefly the uh, if you look at the the current RSR, and this is the new forecast that goes forward. That basically, if scenario one, you can see if we keep spending a million dollars, obviously, you know, just chapter ninety money, it's going to go down. And that's like every community. We all know that chapter money. It's not enough out there. Um, scenario two, if we pump it up, scenario five. But pretty much, you know, we gotta keep doing an additional two and a half million dollars just to keep things where we're at. You know, we can analyze this all, but I just wanna give you a heads up on that. Uh, Doug's gonna talk about, our, specifically, you guys had asked in the past about our, our, our water storage tank, so we just wanna go over that real quick. Yeah. Uh, so just real quick, high, high level, uh, six, so we have six storage tanks in town. 12 million gallons worth of storage. Um, why, why do we have storage? We have storage for fire protection, um, pressure to maintain a certain pressure uh, to all the residents and, and uh, services, and equalization. So the difference between, uh, you know, our, our pumps are sized for max day, we pump that, and anything else comes out of equalization. So, um, the tanks range from uh, 1980 or 1888, which is actually the second oldest, as far as I know, second oldest riveted steel tank. And that's our hillside tank. Uh, we're seven when I started, yeah. so we're up to two. We're up to I want to be number one. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good investment back in the day. In 1888, those guys spent some money. I'm yeah. sure they're all sitting around like you, saying, "Well, we want to spend money in a tank." But they definitely got their money. You saw that. Yeah. One. Yeah. Also shows that you know the investment that the town's put into it to rehab it. Yeah. Um, they put a roof on it. You know, originally both those tanks. Um, if you ever go up there, you can tell where they added the roof. 
Um, so uh, the newest one, uh, 1996 uh, material are steel and concrete. So the hillside tanks specifically are steel. Um, you can see the projects that we have scheduled, uh, 13 and a half million and uh, growing with inflation. Our, uh, we have the hillside tank replacements. That's kind of our number one priority. Uh, just due to the age, um, the foundation, um, you know, that's something that we're looking at. So right now we're under, a, uh, again, design done to uh, replace both those tanks with one singular tank on that same site. Um, another project that we're looking at is our Pleasant Street uh, tank. Uh, to remove that, because um, we do have excess storage, um, and then uh, that would help with some energy efficiency upgrades because right now we pump into that tank and then pump out of there to, a, to the hillside tanks and Fort Chill tanks. So uh, kind of double pumped. We can kind of get rid of that. Um, and then the Bald Hill and Fort Chill tanks, those are our two concrete tanks and those need some minor uh, improvements. So. And then these, uh, you brought Pete fast. These are things that are on the horizon. We don't necessarily know what the full costs are, but they're all estimated. So I just want to, but this is stuff that we have to deal with at some point, potentially. Well, seven, we're, um, I think the council appropriated that money, so we're in design right now. Um, and then the other three are, are things that are coming up down the road. Uh, Fisher Street being our next you know, number one priority. And then, um, I know Brutus had mentioned the water main replacement program, road replacement program. Uh, we want to continue to fund that. So I don't know if you have any questions, those specific ones. But I, I will say that um, very important is a Fisher Street Water Treatment Plant. That's our main producer. It always has been in the town of Franklin. Um, the system is there now. They don't even make the cartridges for it anymore. Um, so we're going to rehab that, go to a, um, a system that's similar to uh, Grove Street. Grove Street. I mean, use the same building, obviously, but just you know, redo the inside of it. But that's going to be a that's going to be like. We don't estimate its cost, but that's definitely coming down the, the pike that we're going to have to do. So I kind of put this together just to, I don't know, scare you? I mean, because it scares me when I see the numbers. You're doing it. I know. But you know, the one thing is that why we do this is, and I hope you guys, we've been working together for a long time. I, I got to plan this stuff. I got to give you, I don't want you guys to be surprised. And this is why I'm, I'm putting it out there. We have a plan in place. We're constantly trying to do it. And we're trying to constantly find efficient ways to do it. But anyways, basically our highway side, we're looking, you know, it's just like general fund type stuff. is like 30 to $35 million, potentially. You know, that's where we want to be. That's the decision if we want to. That $35 million on the high side, that would be get, get fix all the roads in town to be 100%. Okay. I mean, realistically, that's going to happen. I can tell I mean, we know that, but where do we want to be on that level? Um, stormwater, I mean, 15 to 30 million bucks over, you know, however it is. I don't know, but that's going to be paid out of stormwater utility, and we'll have to deal with that, what we have to deal with EPA and everything else, but they're going to force us or other communities to do. Um, water, 42 to 92 million dollars. Um, a lot of stuff is very realistic type stuff, especially the PFAS. Um, we don't know. You know, we're dealing with one now, but that's another that keeps coming down. The good news is there is, uh, there does seem to be some funding for that, but we're always not in those communities. It tends to be more in the other communities, the, the gateway communities and stuff like that, that tend to get, the, but there is some funds up there. Yeah, them. hopefully the, they continue to keep the no interest loans. Okay. We qualify for those. 
and that's quite, and that's good at the federal level because this this is like a national thing. And the, like me and Jamie always talk about, they're actually talking about banning PFAS now. Doesn't that make sense? Yeah. Get rid of the problem yeah. before we have to fix it. I don't know, but that's that's our government. And then um, I'm not going to bring up PFAS again. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, you know, sewer the 33. That's that's our number that we obviously got for the uh, the interceptor. Mm -hmm. But you know, just because we're fixing the interceptor, we still have a whole other. You know, we got 24 other lift stations in town. We got other pipes we got to keep lining, and you know, just general maintenance that we have to go through. So basically, you guys are looking at 120 to 195 million dollars over. Five years. <laughs> Long, yeah, different <laughs> intervals, but you're talking five to fifteen years. Yeah. You know, so just it's it's a startling it's statistic. Startling, yeah. and even it's it's a good. I think it's a it was a good practice for me and my team to go through these numbers and look yeah. at them realistically and talk about it because it's good for us too. It's yeah. good for us to be aware of what those numbers could be over the course of uh, the next five to. 10 years or whatever the case may be as well, I think it's good to get it out to the community. So the community sees what we're dealing with on an annual basis when we talk about budget numbers. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that. And then the questions, obviously. Questions from the council. <laughs> Councilor Chandler. Oh, three, Mr. Chandler, thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, Brutus, and your whole crew, you guys. You got a good crew. It was Thank nice they all showed up tonight, too. Thank you. <laughs> but um, I got to give a quick shout out to uh, Mr. Maglio because that Union Street paving job, that could have been a real nightmare. And you, uh, I saw you out there actually in the trenches. It, it feels like a nightmare when it's going on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank yeah. you personally because I know that you helped keep that together. We had there. a few people out there helping out. Yeah. I think it was directing traffic too, right? Yeah. It was. He was carrying <laughs> cones. I was down there collecting signatures. And all. <laughs> <laughs> Good place to be. <laughs> well, the cars were stopped. So yeah. <laughs> um, seriously, though, um, thank you for that. And uh, no more <laughs> Oh, and about to keep Franklin flowing. I mean, luckily we're going to have the four lanes of traffic. I think you guys are going to get the cars through, but those businesses, Jamie, your your phone's just going to be ringing. We there's nothing we can do though. Yeah, and I, I I mean I, I mean the 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 sticker will be going out. I mean I think the marketing piece is 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 a way to try to get out that message and obviously i think you know we anticipate having those business meetings or there'll be group meetings i'm sure at some point um, just to communicate well through that particular group right because that really is going to be the brunt of it it's really on one floor it's mr chairman it's um and i just want to let the folks home know at home down business that's our anticipation with doing this and we we plan on you know we we want to be very proactive in this. We were, you know, I don't want anybody surprised. We're going to be go out there. We don't want to be reactive. That's why we're doing the market. We're going to talk to them. We're going to have meetings. We're going to do. We've talked to other communities about, you know, maybe one week. I I don't know the Taco Bell or Max. They can't get there. Maybe do some special thing for them. Have signs up, you know, and so they can go around and you know coupons or something like. That. I don't know, but just to keep the word out there to, to keep the, the it going because the tough thing is it's like anywhere in Franklin. It's tough to do a detour. I mean, if we close a lane, you know, they want to do it for productivity or whatever. I mean, they're going down Beaver Street, down Grove, Grove Street, and back out, I don't know, 495, or it's, it's a long haul, right? So we got we to gotta kind of figure that out. 
And it's like anything else, as it progresses, it will get better, it will get worse, it will get better, it will get worse. But we're gonna try to do our best to stay on top of it, and that's, that's why we, we got the emoji. That's why we, we want to model it there so people are talking about it. Uh, I was gonna talk about some of those numbers, but everyone else will talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you, Councilor Chandler. Councilor Frangillo. Yeah, thank you. I mean, this is uh, what, I, what I've been waiting to see. Uh, I think it's really important. I mean, we can't, we can't just close our eyes and uh, pretend that these, that these problems don't exist. Uh, I was hoping to um, talk a little about how this connects to different uh, pieces that have uh, come up. Uh, we talk a lot about budgets, and that's uh, a lot of people are here uh, about budget. We just made this uh, small change of our zoning. Uh, this is all all connected. Uh, you know, one of the reasons why these numbers are so out of hand. You know. Uh, uh, hard for us to uh, tackle is because for a very long time, and you've heard me say this before, for a very long time, we built out in a way that sort of ignored the long-term uh, maintenance costs of the infrastructure that we're building out, right? We're the fastest growing community through the 90s, uh, and it was all roads, and it was sprawling, and it was um, you know, new roads, and we we're giving uh, sewer and town water uh, to, to you know further and further out within the community, um, and the uh, increased revenue that we were getting um, didn't pay for the you know maintenance that continues uh, to build up. Uh, this is one of the reasons why uh, we're struggling every year to keep up uh, with our budget because we you know. Uh, we want a, a high level uh, of service, but are capped at how much um, we can uh, raise revenue. It's also one of the reasons why we're having this conversation about you know one of the things that we're allowed to do to raise revenue. Really, two options. One is you choose to increase uh, your taxes uh, through an override, uh, and the other, and, and most often both, but the other is you um, allow for new growth. And so as we talk about new growth, well, for a long time, we were building that new growth in ways that further added to all these infrastructure uh, costs. And what we just did today, we, you know, whether we realize it or not, is, is start to say, are there places that we already have uh, infrastructure that we don't have to further build out infrastructure that we can allow the next incremental uh, level of growth that for all the reasons uh, Councillor Hamlin uh, named about supporting businesses and, uh, creating a, a community that's connected, all those, and we get to add new growth that don't further uh, add to our expenses. So all of these pieces uh, are tied together. Uh, these are these are serious numbers. I mean, the at best, right? So the low end of your five year is 20 million a year. Just so um, people know, I I believe your budget is about 6.3 million uh, a year right now. Um, if you add in capital that we give to you, free cash, maybe you're up to seven million a year. So, if you want the quality of services, uh, you know, if you want everything to be uh, good quality, that's going to take twenty million. We currently allocate seven. Million. That is a very, very uh, big problem um, that we can't run away from or, or close our eyes to. And I appreciate you um, putting all this effort in, and I'm going to be. Uh, pouring through that, that pavement uh, plan, which is pretty cool. Uh, 
I appreciate your team working really hard to, to bring that to us. Thank you. Thank you, Councilor Fondillo. Councilor DeLarco. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thanks, guys, for, for um, you know, everything you do. You guys do a really good job. Um, just kind of quick on the interceptor. Now, is that, do we have a firm price on that? Or because I know prices are going crazy, do we know for sure we have a firm price or not? Yes. Yeah. So, so the bid, yeah. the bid by the uh, contractor, which is Aqualine Utilities, is 26.7 million. Yeah. Um, our total loan amount is 33 million. Part of that is the engineer. You know, we'll have resident yeah, engineers out there, and there's a contingency number. Um, yeah, that's I what I was wondering. I, I mean, so hopefully we don't have to use all that contingency, and definitely hopefully we don't go over that. We don't. But it, there's extra money there. In case I just know that a lot of the bids now are just going out and coming back. Crazy, and they add something else. Yeah, there, there's yeah. Uh, allowances in there yeah. for um, you know fuel, different things like that that we yeah. were uh, we had to put in there um, part of SRF funding. Okay, and, and you know I mean that, that that other our other sewer line there is it's been there for over 100 what 100 and somewhat years, so we got our money's worth out of that. Yeah, we definitely did. <laughs> sure. So, yeah. Just like the water um, yeah. Just like the water tank. Plus. Yeah. <laughs> and I just want to tell people that you're going, when this does happen, just please be patient. You're talking to somebody that's driving home every day from Logan Airport with a tunnel closed. So <laughs> trust me, it's going to be lousy. It's going to be terrible. It's going to stink. But just be patient because it's something that we really need. <laughs> thank you, Councilor DeLarco. Councilor Cormier Ledger. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you, Brutus and all of your team. I apologize. Are, are, is your presentation coming to an end, or is the sidewalk plan still being talked about? Because I, I, or did I miss it? Um, so part of the uh, road evaluation that we're doing, they haven't fully completed that yet, but they're evaluating all the sidewalks right now. We added that on there in the springtime. I can tell you, I, you know, I talked to the consultant, and that's where the uh, 30, 35 million, because is obviously. It's, I can't. I don't want to be pinned down on a number, but it's millions to just upgrade sidewalks and where they're at. And uh, we ha we have been looking at uh, the different sidewalk issues. I brought a plan here. This is kind of interesting. You guys can see the Mike can show you where uh, the high impact. It, what this what this shows you is the high, where where most people use sidewalks. That's why it's. Um, you know, obviously the downtown area and over by uh, Oak Street, that's where most of the sidewalks are used in town. So that's what we, you know, we look at, and that's just another tool, like, you know, we're only gonna have so much money for sidewalks, so we have so much roads, so where we look at and doing the improvements in town. But that is forthcoming, and that's part of where we're gonna be. But it's part of the whole program. And, and the other part of that highway side is the parking lots. We did that before. Um, that's the parking lots, whether it's here, at the school, um, Remington Jefferson, we have a number for those. That we've done some maintenance on those too, but you know, at some point they wear out and we gotta fix them. Like we had to fix the one out here. Remember, you can see the drain work out there. I just remember that um, wasn't that long ago at the second round of capital meetings we talked about even if we could chip away at fixing some existing sidewalks a little bit at a time and you know, if there was a 10 year plan or something so residents could see 
Oh, okay, they're addressing the sidewalks in front of our house and maybe our neighborhood will be next if we can see a plan. Then I think it would be easier, I know for me or for other counselors that deal with these questions to be able to say, I'm sorry that the sidewalk in front of your home has eroded or is a problem, but we know about it and we're gonna get to it. And here's the you know, it's just a little, not talking about new sidewalks and not talking about new development, but I think it's I think it's incumbent on us as one of our duties as counselors and why people pay taxes is they do expect the sidewalk in front of their home to be usable. And I know we have a lot of other priorities. I know we have a gigantic infrastructure, uh, like unbelievable number out there. But if there was some way we could chip away at neighborhood by neighborhood and show folks a little bit of progress, I think that'd be a really good thing. I totally agree with you. And um, we, we are doing that and we have, um, what we focus on the last two years, and uh, you know, uh, Carlos and Tony have been focused on, if you saw around town, we've been fixing a lot of handicapped panels out there because they weren't into to compliance. And as much as, um, you know, how do I say this, uh, a trip hazard or a broken sidewalk somewhere on the subdivision is one thing, but if, you're, if you don't have a plan in place, which we do, to repair um, handicap accessibility, that's a fine. And that's they can actually you know the state can come after you for that with the, with the architectural board yeah yeah so that's what we've been, and you know we and, and they're realistic too they know we can't fix them all at the same time because some are built to different standards but we've been slowly working on it we did a bunch last year we did a bunch this year i think folks have seen those through town because that's really that's been our focus but it's also to your point it's just when we do you know a road improvement plan some roads are completely reconstructed some get chip seals, some get crack seals, some get mill and overlay. And that's part of the plan where you're, you're talking about. And yes, I do think people, and I want to do that. It's just another part of our asset management plan that we're doing. So that is forthcoming. Great, thank you. I look forward to it. Thank you. Thank you, Council Cornell Ledger. Council of Plagery. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you all for coming tonight and explaining all of this to us. Sometimes you come with good news, sometimes you come with a real whack, and this is it, <laughs> to show $120 million to $195 million. But I think it's good that the residents in town that always come back with a, a comment um, if something is wrong. Where does my tax money go? I pay taxes. Well, let me tell you, there's so much that that tax money goes to, and there really isn't that much of it to go around as you showed us tonight. So um, uh, all I can say is thank you for bringing it to everyone's attention, and maybe the town should stop buying lottery tickets. <laughs> <laughs> and we could pay for everything. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Billion bucks. Thank you again. Thank you, Councilor Pellegrini. Thank you, Councilor Pellegrini. Councilor Sheridan. Uh, thank you for the presentation. Uh, so, kind of going along with uh, Councilor Pellegrini's question. So, if a resident thinks the street's going to get fixed, is basically the sidewalks are fixed too at the same time? If the street's going to be replaced? Um, you, you get a defined fixed. Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, like so. Like what rest street, I remember rest street was done. Yeah, so when, when we do, we started this program a long time ago, and it depends on the road, but when we do the water line, yeah. and I always make the joke that, not just the you folks at home, but I just was talking to the Municipal Lawyers Association, right, and they'll get it. No one cares about the pipe under the ground. They don't care if it's a no. sewer pipe, drain pipe, or a water pipe. What they care about is a new road on top. 
Okay, so when we go in to do your neighborhood east and west, yeah. we went in there and um, we redid the road. We did the waterline, we did the road, and we replaced the sidewalk. Some of that funding, like I showed you previously, came from the water. Some of that funding came from the general fund. Some of that funding came from Chapter 90. But we do, if you're going to get a new water line, that program, and we're going to replace that, we're one of the communities that do curb to curb. And I just, I'm a strong believer that I fix everything at the same time. It is cheaper in the long run. I know you drive a lot of communities and you see like the temporary patch that goes down the road. It's, it's awful. And it deteriorates the rest of the road. We don't accept that. We work a lot. Mike does a lot of work with the gas company. You know, actually they were, they replaced the gas line over I just knew, I know he hit it nine times. Oh, he's doing it. Yeah, he's doing it. That's a bad, that was a bad contract. He doesn't work in town. Was it Martin Restry? Yes. You remember Robert? Yeah. Yeah, my wife had to run out of the house. Yeah. That was not, I was not a happy DPW director at that time. But um, anyways, yeah, so that's what we try to do. And I think all the roads that we, we do do that. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Councilor Sheridan. Councilor Hamlin. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, through the chair, thank you all for being here. And um, I know these numbers are huge, but it's really important for people to understand um, what we need to put in to um, the pot that um, Councillor Mercer has um, to be able to pay for these things. Um, <laughs> I, and I agree, Union Street is awesome. I, I drove down it today and I was so happy um, there weren't all these things in the way to run over. But um, I have a question about the Fisher Street water treatment. That is that the one that got hit by the lightning a few years ago, right? Yeah. And then, and so. Um, the fire and the uh, fire. It was a fire, yeah. right, right. One of the worst calls I ever got. I remember they're going like, your water treatment plant's on fire. I go, it's a water treatment plant. What can burn in there? <laughs> it was a lot of chemicals, but I was very surprised by that. But it wasn't a good call. And so um, I remember then you said, I, you, I think you said it in the presentation, um, but those cartridges, those filters don't, aren't made anymore. No. And so that they were um, replaced. we really need to replace this. Yeah, they, they were replaced early after the fire when that plant came back online. Mm -hmm. And then, um, yeah, they we're coming up to their five-year lifespan. Okay. So we're babying them and trying to get as much out of them as we can. It was five years ago already? Yeah, almost I can't next year. Uh, okay. Yeah, um, thank you. I just wanted to clarify. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Councilor Hamlin. Any other questions from the Council? Sure. Councilor Fringillo. Yeah, thank you. I also wasn't sure if we were going to go more into the sidewalk uh, after plan. So just through you, uh, one of the projects, and I apologize uh, if you mentioned it, but uh, I believe we had some allocated some money uh, to extend the sidewalk on Washington Street. Do you have an update on uh, So you, you haven't allocated money. You've authorized us to borrow, or the town to borrow, but um, it's just not, and you, Jay, you want to explain this one. Yeah, so uh, through you, Mr. Chairman, so uh, that stretch, uh, the council in 2020 authorized the borrowing for $2 million for that stretch, which was our estimate at the time. Um, I built into the five-year fiscal forecast the borrowing for FY26, which included $3 million for that sidewalk. Um, Amy is now working with Senator, uh, with the state, to get the 170000 in ARPA funds that Senator Rauch got us. So we're trying to piecemeal that together, and it's really an interest rate. It, it's really a borrowing. Um, you know, it's really when we want to go out to borrow for Remington Jefferson, um, the Washington Street sidewalk, 
potentially the high school update, and there's one other project that I'm missing right now. But I'd make those numbers into that forecast, anticipating uh, a reauthorization at a higher number, because it's just obviously gonna, well, I shouldn't say obviously. Um, I, I, I wanna correct that by saying a lot of these bids we've seen recently, grocery in particular, surprisingly have in the Beaver Street Interceptor, which as Doug, Brutus, and Mike know, I was really panicked about. Um, they actually came in really good. Relative to, I, I think there is a plateauing. I think it's just about watching the markets and seeing when the right time to possibly go up to borrow is. And also making sure that the staff are ready. Uh, they have enough time to do all this. And we want to access, obviously, the ARPA funds that I think Senator Rauscher and Roy does. So we're trying to piecemeal that together. And that's certainly the next new sidewalk. Um, Brutus, on that map, does it show, does that sidewalk map over there show the recent improvements that we've done? I know that there was a map with that, with the, with the projects that we have done. Maybe we could get a list of the improvements. Uh, thank you, Mike. I can see I'm, you already read my mind. I don't even need to ask you. But, but just getting a list of the improvements that we have made on sidewalks, we do have that information, and we'll pull that together. I thought it was on the, um, the map. I, it, it's not, but you know, we do have the right. map. We've done, we have done a lot of sidewalks, we've placed a lot of sidewalks in town. But most of that's been specifically as part of the roads program or the allocation that was done for uh, Pleasant Chestnut Street. And this section of folks at home, that section of Washington Street, is like the best one to do because it's literally gonna connect where it comes up, Washington, 495, all the way out to um, well, Washington Street, <laughs> where, where it meets. So, um, but that will really be a good conductivity for, I mean, for a nice walk around. So that's that's our number one priority, it has been for Awesome, thank you. Thank you, Councilor Frangelo. Jamie, what is a borrowing driven? <laughs> nice segue to the next topic. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, any, other, any other questions? Any questions from the audience? Please just come forward, name and address. Maxwell Marangello, 127 Central Park Terrace. Sorry to keep you away from your nap. Um, so I have three questions. One of them was regarding how much of this can be financed through sort of water, sewer bill? Like, is there a rule against using it for roads or some of it for roads? Second question was whether, I know you just raised water rates, but if you were to have a fee or a surcharge, specifically when there's a drought in order to ration more water so people use less during times of drought, is that something that can be implemented, like to take effect automatically during a drought? And three, completely separate question, when you do the uh, analysis for the roads and sort of sidewalks and that kind of thing, how do you take into account equity of the neighborhoods? Like, you know, if I look in Franklin and I look at sort of a part of Franklin that's, you know, not as nice as the other parts of Franklin, are the roads gonna be not so nice too or are they gonna be just as nice as all the other parts of Franklin? So, thank you. Thank you, Max. Um, Jamie. Uh, Max brings up a really great point, which is if you look up here, and this is a good segue to the next topic um, with the override mechanics uh, in the next uh, few slides. Um, highway is really piece, I mean, Drew showed, it's really a lot, of, eventually there's a lot, hopefully a lot of state funding that comes from this. MassWorks grant, we laid the groundwork for two years for two and a half million. But stormwater, water, and sewer don't come out of the general fund. Those are utility enterprise accounts. Uh, that are borne by the ratepayers. In the case of stormwater, that's everybody. Water and sewer, if you're on public water or public sewer, you pay into those, you pay into those rates. I know there's a pride out there of those that are not both, because um, they're not susceptible to this, but uh, Max does bring up a point. In terms of financing this, 
there's really there's really different pots of the money in terms of how to do that. And I think to a lot of people's points, you try to raise, you know, hopefully raise the rates at a point to pay for the actual properties. Just like the Beaver Street Interceptor, mm -hmm. we raise the rates to pay for that property. Um, and so Max brings up a good point. Uh, in terms of the equity issue, um, you know, I don't, I don't, it's not a part of the actual scoring analysis. It's, that's just simply road conditions, right? Um, and it's, um, but in terms of where we do the work, um, I think uh, as the folks who've been here for a while know, um, if you looked at a bigger map, which would get so much data on it, it would always be confusing. It's actually, we try to hit all areas of town. I mean, if you think about the Alpine neighborhood, Ruggles, Milliken down here, that was done a few years ago. Um, and we try to hit with parks, roads, water mains, um, Mike, Doug, Carlos, Brutus, the whole staff, Kate, everybody, Derek, they all try to make sure that they share that around the entire community so that one side of town or another side of town or one neighborhood gets a disproportionate amount. And they fairly balance it out really, really well from year to year. Even if you look at the list of projects that were up there earlier that were currently going on are in different parts of the community, right? And, and that's, I think, a really important message to the community um, that everywhere is getting some sort of investment somewhere. We know it's never fast enough, I mean, for everybody, but we try to hit those quadrants of the community in, in each year. Thank you, Jamie. Please. Okay. I just want to add one thing. Sure. Oh, she's coming out. Mr. Okay. Chairman, I want folks to know at home too with these different pools of money. The you know the highway is kind of like a choice what we want where we want our roads at. You look at stormwater; it's completely different. That's that's mandated. We have to do that. It's not a town choice. That's a federal government choice. They're they're making us spend that money. Okay. We we can't say don't do it. Whatever. You know water. There are certain things there that we are mandated to do. Some of it is we do have to take care of our system. Same with sewer. But a lot of that money is not choices you're made here. It's people from the outside telling us what we have to do. So I just want to throw that up there. Thank you, Bruce. Please. My name is Kathleen Pinnell, and I'm 118 Forest Street. Um, I'm, talk I'm here to talk about, well, I wasn't here to planning on this. It was all about the override, but now, Sidewalks are huge with me right now because Forest Street is a treacherous street. I live right in the middle of two horrible curves. I take my life in my hands every time I try to run to my mailbox. And I'm telling you that they've come pretty close because they speed on that road. Um, I have two young neighbors on either side of me with, with young children. I literally said to them, go through my backyard I don't care how many times you go back and forth, but I do not want those kids going across in the front of my house. I said, please let them run back and forth. So I do. So I have no privacy left now. The kids are always peeking in the middle of the door. But anyway, um, we really need a sidewalk, at least on that side, that because of the Jefferson School as well. These parents don't want to bust their kids. They don't want to have to keep driving their kids. They literally, if they had the sidewalk going there, they could walk into Hunter's Run, into Stage Harbor, where there was a sidewalk. There's a short section of sidewalk that when Jefferson was built, and then they stopped. And I thought, oh, I thought it was going to go all the way down that side for people to be able to walk or put a crosswalk. So anyway, it's dangerous. And then they're saying to me, oh, wouldn't it be lovely if we had the sidewalk on that side and we could go down to the, the King Street Park? 
But no, you have to get in your car and drive all the way to Washington Street to go in instead of walking down the street with your children. I mean, I just feel that it's a necessity. I've lived there 34 years. I see the sign at the beginning of my street, the scenic route, a scenic street. Scenic street. Really? <laughs> you know, it's you know, it's it's a very dangerous street, and I just wish somebody could do something about that. That's all I have to say. Thanks. Thank you, Kathy. Again, we're talking about dollars, dollars and cents, and yeah, I'm sure uh, every street in town is somewhere on the list uh, uh, for sidewalks, but where, again, that's part of what you're looking at now as you build the forecast. Uh, Steve, before you, Jane, have raised your hand. Um, I have an actual question regarding the stormwater. And we all know how I feel about it. But in your presentation, you um, had said that it's going to go roughly 56 up to could 350 a resident. Right? That would be the fee? Average. I mean, I, yeah. Okay. It's not yet, no. it's the potential. Mm -hmm. Okay. The idea with the fee was that all the businesses that are exempt from taxes, like Dean College and other things, would also be paying into the stormwater fee. So what would their average cost be? Because if we have to come up with 30 million, we'll just say based on these numbers, how much are they paying already? And how do you figure that the average resident's now gonna have to pay an additional $350 on top of everything else that has just been raised in the last two years. Okay, Jane, I'll let Jane. So through you, Mr. Chairman, as I'm sure the president knows, uh, standing behind you, Dean College does get charged for the stormwater fee. The religious institutions get charged for the stormwater fee. And in the town budget this year, one of the inflationary factors was that the, the municipal facilities department has a stormwater line item in there and we pay um, on behalf of the town and the schools. Um, so everybody pays, um, and everybody also pays the same exact rate. So it's $18.66 $18 per 1,000 square feet of impervious coverage. Um, and so everybody pays the same rate. If you have more impervious coverage and you're contributing to the problem at a greater <coughs> level, like Franklin Village Mall, EMC, I'm just highlighting a couple of large properties with a lot of asphalt, they pay a lot more. I believe, just for illustration, you know, the town pays about 70,000, I believe was in the budget, for all of the town and municipal and school parking lots, buildings and whatnot. What Brutus is referencing up there is $350 is, if we wanna meet the federal obligation over the next 15 years, which the stormwater presentation, I mean the stormwater program is a requirement in the permit for another 10, 15, 20 years. I mean, I'll be retired, we will all you know, be moving on. Other people are gonna continue on with this. I can't predict what EPA is gonna do in five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 years. But what Brutus is just simply saying is, if we all paid that rate today, okay, we'd be able to meet our obligation today. We don't have to. But make no mistake, I'm sure next session or in a few years, couple of years, the council will have to consider raising that $18.66 rate up to, I'm just making a number up, like $24.75 or $28.30. 
you know, we're gonna have to do those calculations, we haven't done them yet, but we're not gonna just go from 1866 per thousand to $350 per thousand. That's just not sustainable for the Franklin family. It's just not sustainable for family. We just can't do it. No, and so what Brutus is just articulating is slowly but surely over a long period of time, decades, the rates are gonna have to be increased to perform the work necessary, including drainage and culverts and all phosphorus uh, and all that stuff. We're gonna have to raise those rates up to meet the permit obligations from the federal government. I hope that makes, I hope that gives some clarity here. It does. One other question. I don't remember which screen it was, but it, you were talking about the water towers and how you use it for like the fire and the water pressure and stuff. So I have a question on the water pressure. The water pressure you're referring to, is that the pressure that it's delivered to the town, to the residents? coming out yes yeah. okay I had to put on a regulator in my house because all my faucets blew out when they started doing all the um, construction on Maple Street the water pressure is extremely high that goes into the homes I've had four different plumbers I've had to come in and they said Franklin's water pressure is astronomically high and it's higher than a lot of the surrounding towns and a lot of buildings who have older pipes. I know one guy, I don't know him personally, but he was on, I believe, Beach Street, and his pipes blew because the pressure coming into the house, the pipes couldn't handle it. Now, I spent $1,000 to put the little pretty blue box inside so that way when the water hits my house, it changes the pressure before it hits my faucets. Should we be considering that maybe our water pressure is a little bit too high going in to all these homes and that could be potential, like a potential problem going forward? Sure. Through, through you, uh, Chair. Um, so the, the tanks set the pressure grade line for the highest elevations in town. Uh, with that said, there are low-lying areas, uh, like you were saying, off of Maple, um, again, off of uh, Pond Street to the west down towards 495 that when houses are built or were built uh, they had to put in a pressure reducing valve uh, so all those houses have one um, that is an item that fails um, from you know over time when it does fail though it should fail closed um, and then that's a something that has to be replaced but in saying that, was notice given to any potential residents that were actually already existing in homes that were built before all that happened? Because I know I was never notified. And if that's the case and that's gonna stand, then it's something that residents should be told about before they have a burst pipe in their house because the pressure's too high. I found out because I literally blew out four faucets at the same time. The, uh, I mean, these tanks have been in place since you know, 1888. They haven't changed in elevation, so the pressure in town should have, I, I can't speak for the past, but it should be consistent to what it is now. Okay. Thank you. Is it uh, Steve? Yes, thank you. Steve Sherlock at Lawrence Drive, also Franklin Adams, Franklin Public Radio. Just wanted to do two things. One, thank Doug and Jake. Uh, for spending time, we spent about 90 minutes or so. While covered a bunch of details here, we were able to go deeper two years ago on all the water from the pump through the faucet, and then this past June on all about the sewer. So if you really want to know more, there are the three 
water ones on their page, the three sewer ones are currently online. I believe they're gonna put them on their page eventually. But we spent about 90 minutes in three separate sections going into much more detail. So kudos to them for taking the time to do so so everybody can listen to it and really find out more because there is a lot of detail available. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Councilor Hamlin. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, I just remembered a question that people ask me a, a lot. Um, the Pleasant Street, Chestnut Street in, um, redesign of that intersection, is that, is that part, was, is that, people tell me that that's part of a plan, there was a grant, I don't know. You know, we've looked at that intersection, it's not the worst in town, but I think Brutus and Mike would agree, it's one, like, you know, the King Street, you know, intersection with, um, you know, over here, like, that, that requires houses, yeah, that, like, you can't just do that, right? You gotta wait probably a long time to do the intersection over here. But Pleasant and Chestnut. That's the, that's the King Street 140 right. intersection. Yeah, and then, but Pleasant and Chestnut is doable. We've looked at that, it's likely a rotary structure. Um, and I, I will give credit to Rep Roy. Um, I, I have no idea how we got a $10 million earmark and a bond authorization. Um, Amy just wrote the letter on behalf of us the other day to start laying the groundwork with the Commonwealth to try to see if we can get that money um, because that is a project that in the near future is doable because we already own all the real estate, we just need the money to do it. Uh, but that will be an expensive project. So we did not get a grant. We got a bond authorization, just like borrowing, the state's gonna have to do that too. Um, but you gotta write the letters and early birds get the worm. So um, MassWorks worked out really well. Um, so we're kind of starting to lay the groundwork to see if maybe in the future we can work on that project too. I'm on it, Jamie. I'll call it a model. Thank you, I, I, uh, that would be a good update as well. Mr. Mr. Chairman. Jamie, just keep writing, please. <laughs> I just want to add one thing on there, because it's another, it's another, it's another good thing that town did. That that was originally looked at a tip a tip program, like you did Pond Street. And when I got here, but the design cost were so much, it was actually pushed into another tier. I mean, this is 10 years ago, it's going to go over $10 million. That, you know, when we start, we'd be competing with like Route 2, just to make it simple. So the town looked at it, what's the best way we could do it? And we did it in-house. And basically we used our town money, we saved probably $8 million. And you know, the walls that are built out there are not the same standards and you know, the width of the road. Like we would have, we would have had to create Pond Street going down Pleasant Street. I don't think people would want that, you know, the wide road and everything else. But we were able to put the sidewalk in there and that's, it was something that was done over 12 years. And then once again, it's, it's, that's what Franklin does. We, we find a way to do things, we do some road improvements out there, do some wall improvements. We're gonna be doing some more with development uh, with the churches. We're gonna do some more traffic calming out there. So it's always going. And that's, but we save money in the long run, really do. Thank you, Bruce. And thank you to you and your team for a great presentation. I'm not sure we like what we heard, but. <laughs> But bottom line is it's great information. It's great information for the council as a whole as well as the community to just have an idea of what we're looking at over the next five to ten years. So thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Remember, be Frank LaFlore. <laughs> Thank you.
Okay, uh, next item on the agenda is uh, discussion. Proposition two and a half, operating override. And of the do's, the can do's, the cannot do's. So three, three, go ahead, Jim. So three, Mr. Chairman. Um, so I only got a couple slides. These have been out there before. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we'll pass over to Mark to talk about some of the ethics and OCPF issues. Um, people have asked a lot, and I know we didn't get to it at the Joint Budget Subcommittee meeting for good reason, because there was a lot of great uh, questions. Uh, but I'll just go through it again. I did this as a finance committee earlier in the year. So the override 101. Um, the first step uh, in any type of override discussion um, is really the school committee begins the process uh, with an override. I put a caveat up here, unless schools are not asking for any additional levy capacity, then the schools are not needed. Um, in 2014, Brutus just referenced it, the town tried an override for just road work. That didn't require any school committee input. But if the schools are looking for additional levy capacity, additional monies beyond what we've projected, um, they need to have at least some sort of process, I guess, for themselves to discuss what their needs are. Um, and I think you would agree, Mr. Chairman, um, you know, the average resident, when you're considering an override, wants to make sure you have done everything possible to avoid that question and that all the money that's being spent is being spent wisely and well. And so those questions, as you know, Mr. Chairman, as being through these before, those questions come up. And so the school committee really has an integral role here uh, in any type of override uh, question or discussion. The second step uh, is the town council reviews the request of the schools and also has a discussion with non-education uh, stuff. I think we've heard from all of you, as well as Brutus and others tonight, there are other issues in town that need to be um, discussed publicly. Um, you know, I think that is not legally mandated, but I, you have to have those discussions, so I'm just putting them on here. I know there's been some questions about what's the bare minimum legal requirement. You don't legally have to do it, but you have to talk about it, and the town council at a public meeting has to vote to put a, ballot, to put a question on the ballot. Step three, which I would inject in here, and I think it was talked about a couple weeks ago, um, is the joint budget subcommittee. Again, not required, but um, the way our, our form of government is, um, you know, probably should take a look at some sort of uh, proposal or at least the menu list of items of what all the departments and or the schools are looking for and have some sort of discussion. I have a general feeling that number might be large based on what we just heard, but I think as we went through the budget hearings this year um, and George Conley asked the finance committee, he asked uh, most of the department heads, if there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, what do you need? And actually at this year's FinCom hearings, we did get a lot of good answers from a lot of our department heads, Felicia, Danielle, uh, the chiefs, uh, et cetera. Uh, after a joint budget committee, if the, if the community decides they want them to review some of this uh, material, um, really the, the only real legally required step is that the town council needs to coordinate with the town clerk who's here tonight still uh, on an election schedule. I put some uh, qualifiers here. Um, election schedules vary um, to pace, uh, based on a variety of factors like the election date. Most notably, the real big factor is whether it's a local election, state election, or federal election. Those, those change the requirements of the window of time at which the council would have to have to put a question on the ballot. 
and I've listed those out here. Um, the minimum amount at a local election is 35 days. And we're gonna discuss, and that's the same for a debt exclusion. So we're gonna talk about that probably at the next meeting um, just to deal with the tri-county issue that the town clerk had mentioned before. Obviously all the communities within the tri-county district are starting to realize it's Labor Day soon and <laughs> are wondering a little bit more, you know, where the MSBA process is and things like that. So I expect that um, to be up uh, later uh, after Labor Day. Um, federal elections, if it was a federal primary, presidential or a general, um, those have different requirements and we're looking into those. We believe those are 90 days, um, but there may be a little bit different criteria for a primary versus a general. But generally speaking, you need at least three months if it's a federal and you need 35 days uh, for a local. I've added a few links up here. I'm sure a lot of folks have already read a lot of the Prop 2 and a half stuff. Um, and uh, again, the key element here is uh, if, a, if a agenda item is on uh, the council agenda, it's really the council uh, as a legislative body that would put that question on the ballot in coordination with the town clerk's office um, to make sure the considerations of the voters uh, and the election staff are considered with coordination. There are some, f I won't get into them tonight, we'll wait for that discussion, but there are some unique things about a ballot question has to be on a separate ballot and there's some other little nuances. Again, I won't go deep into them, but when the community's ready, that's why we work with Nancy and her staff to make sure all of those things have been considered to make sure that the voters have a safe and fair place to go. As we're about to hear from Mark, um, you know, the town administrator, superintendent of schools, and the paid staff cannot advocate for or against an override with town resources. Um, as you'll hear from Mark, the superintendent and I have a little more leeway because we're the CEOs of those organizations discussing these publicly with all of you. Uh, but Mark will talk, and he's written a long memo that was in the packet as reference material for everybody moving forward, in addition to some um, in addition to some guidance materials from OCPF and the Ethics Commission. But generally speaking, we cannot use municipal facilities, we cannot use school facilities, we cannot use emails, we cannot use town phones. Anything that's paid for through the taxpayers, those resources cannot be used to advocate for or against a ballot question, whether it's an override, debt exclusion, or anything else. And um, I just wanna say, uh, I put this as the last bullet point, grassroots organization is required, ballot question committee. We were miss if I didn't acknowledge at the joint budget, Mr. Chairman, and you felt the same way. Um, you know, huge kudos uh, and two big thumbs up to um, a packed room, a packed Zoom call. There's folks here tonight. We have a lot of credit to Ruthanne and a lot of the other residents for really, in a very short amount of time, trying to pull that grassroots network together. Um, I, I was uh, just, just thrilled um, and as I, I know, uh, the school committee member Dave Callahan heard on my podcast this week, um, you know, the more people that are in this room for more of these discussions, the better. I want the room to be hot. I like it when it's sweaty because that means a lot of people are here. That means people are listening, they're engaged. And that's really a, a really, really important figure um, uh, for any type of override. Uh, I've gone through the override summaries before. These are just some high level stats. Um, you know, in terms of, I, I know the narrative has always been Franklin's only passed one override. Um, I think we all agree it's a new Franklin from those days. Um, and we really should look forward to the CPA vote a couple of years ago uh, as hopefully a, a more of a litmus test 
um, where it was 60% favor and 40% against uh, in, in the, the largest election turnout in town history. So that was a good sign. Um, and I think this, the message there is, is that when we as officials engage and communicate, listen and talk with different folks throughout the community, not just the senior center, but also um, some of the employee groups, the downtown partnership, business communities, chamber of commerce, everybody, when we get them together and we talk to those stakeholders and we bring them with us as part of the discussion, I think you see results up there for community preservation. <laughs> Councilman Hale and I and Councilman Mercer and I have talked about this many times. I think if that vote were today, with the Redbrook Schoolhouse, the open space, all of the other things we've been able to do with CPA money, I know there's a lot of people I've talked to that voted no that would vote yes today. So we're now proving the trustworthiness of those monies. Um, just a couple of other projects up there. I think everybody knows Tri-County, the police station, Davis there, uh, and potentially down the road, uh, you know, 2030 and beyond, maybe even a new school. Um, we talked about some of the borrowing things at the last meeting as well. Um, and so I'm happy to obviously answer any questions. That's literally it. Um, I did include in the packet, um, uh, you know, just as reference material for folks, I did include in the packet all of the overrides. Um, they're on the DLS gateway, Division of Local Services. Geeks like me love going in there and seeing those things, and I could sit in there all day. Um, I printed out a synthesized chart to give the community um, a tool. It doesn't include every override that's been done in Massachusetts, because I know some that aren't on there, but it gives everyone a guide. The one thing I noticed, Mr. Chairman, I'll end on this, that I saw on that chart that was very interesting, was most overrides are less than a million dollars. Um, and there's reasons in the lines of all those communities of very strategic investments that a lot of communities have done. Obviously, you can look at some that are larger as well, but um, I did that in there for the community just to give people um, some public data that's out there. So um, I'll now pass it over to uh, Attorney Sorrell, who will go through the memo and outline the high-level considerations of state ethics laws, as well as Office of Campaign and Political Finance laws, and how these relate to elected officials, as well as paid staff, volunteers, um, and just some of the four corners of the puzzle. I'm sure there'll be some great questions, uh, but now I'll pass over to Mark to uh, talk about some of those issues. Thank you. Mark? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Council to you. So, I've given you basically a one-page summary memo. Uh, what you need to understand is, is two distinct statutory schemes that govern and each is governed by a separate state administrative agency. So there's the Office of Campaign and Political Finance. Uh, and they basically, as Jamie alluded to earlier, uh, regulate or in fact prohibit the use of uh, public funds uh, for campaign and political activity. So, that is chapter 55 of the general laws, which has a section in it, section 22A, expenditures for political purposes. Um, and that specifically states, any officer of a governmental unit violating any provision thereof or authorizing such violation, or any person who violates in any way knowingly aids or abets the violation 
shall be punished by a fine of not more than $10,000 or by imprisonment for more than one year or both. So it has way more teeth than I thought because the Office of Campaign and Political Finance historically has not exercised the full powers that the statute grants. Uh, in addition, uh, they also have the ability, if there's an inappropriate public expenditure, as they determine, and we saw the preliminary of this uh, rise in a news report out of Brookline, the monies need to be reimbursed, and they cannot be reimbursed from taxpayer funds. So if municipal resources are improperly utilized, somebody's got to come back, somebody else has to come up with the money, whether it's a advocacy group or whatever. Uh, and thirdly, uh, the risk <clears throat> can also be taken to the courts uh, by a 10 taxpayer suit challenging improper expenditure of public funds. And in fact, uh, that was the source of the one case we have for guidance, which was, which I've cited in my memorandum and you could easily find in the materials I've also given you, or if you want to see the full decision, uh, it's easily accessible. Uh, Anderson versus the city of Boston, uh, which was 1978, Supreme Judicial Court. That case involved the city of Boston's ex actual expenditure of public funds to advocate for some political thing. And the Supreme Judicial Court, uh, <clears throat> interpreting chapter 55, said no, you cannot expend uh, public funds or public resources. Then it was left to the Office of Campaign and Political Finance to interpret the statute, well they already did, they, they were, it was set up under the statute, but they then applied Anderson versus City of Boston and said this is not, this case involved actual taxpayer funds, but as we read the stat, uh, the case law and the, the, this decision, it's not limited to actual funds, it's limited to any resources, public resources, which then means use of buildings, equipment, uh, emails, uh, uh, whatever. So, the, so our, uh, the campaign finance or the Office of Campaign and Political Finance address improper use of public, improper activities in the context of use of public funding or resources. And I, I told you what the penalties are. The other statute uh, which is generally unrelated, but there is this overlap in this particular area, is the state ethics law, 268A. That's administered by the State Ethics Commission. It has comparable penalties for willful violation. And that gets into uh, the individuals, uh, and particularly uh, the statute governs the conduct of public employees, which are stated on other occasions as an extremely broad definition. Uh, so uh, with that background and overview, uh, both the uh, Office of Campaign and Political Finance and the State Ethics Commission have issued written advisories or guidances as to what you can and cannot do. And uh, I've given them to you uh, the best way to approach it is 
to basically view it as a general prohibition. If you want to be really conservative, you can't do it. Once you decide you're going to do it, then you get into reading into this, into these guidances, and there's all kinds of nuances. Uh, one which Jamie alluded to is, generally speaking, nobody can use uh, public resources for advocacy. That being said, there are exceptions. So you can have an informational session. You can also allow your building to be used for advocacy if it's open for everybody to have access, not necessarily at the same time. As far as individuals, the, the Ethics Commission draws a very bright distinction between uh, elected and appointed officials. Elected officials have much broader discretion because that's the public policy as to that's why they were elected what they're supposed to be doing. That's what the agency recognizes. So you've got more leeway and discretion uh, in terms of, uh, well, let's focus on just the, what we've actually talked about here, the context being the prop two and a half, because when you're talking uh, endure candidates and endorsements, that's a whole different thing. And both of these guidances, as thick as they are, have sections that deal just with ballot questions, local ballot questions. So when you're talking local ballot questions, you have uh, broad discretion to talk about it and the pros and the cons, and even to take a position. Similarly, the managerial people, appointees, such as the town administrator, the superintendent of schools, have similar broad authority given their specific positions and the duties of their positions to speak broadly and to, and to within context, within limitations to advocate. Again, whether or not you can advocate has to be separated out from how you're doing that. So you maybe have the authority to advocate, but can't do it using uh, municipal resources. So that's kind of a broad overview. As I said, you really need to spend some time, not with the whole uh, of these two memos, but just go to the sections that deal specifically with ballot questions and the do's and the don'ts. Uh, and I'm happy to answer any questions you have. Thank you, Mark. Uh, I think one obvious question is, we as elected officials, if we were asked to go to the Rotary Club and speak about uh, a ballot question, we are allowed to do that. Yes. If, let's say, the Rotary Club, uh, and I use that club because back when we were doing the high school, I can remember going. <laughs> and uh, the town administrator, if they were looking for further information, could the town administrator and or the superintendent of schools go to provide information? Yes. I wanted to put those two points out there because I think they're very yes. important. That uh, being said, 
<laughs> I knew you were going there. <laughs> you, as the chair of the council, cannot come into the administrative offices and say, hey, Jamie, I was at such and such a group, and uh, we talked about this, and what I want you to do is prepare uh, this pros and cons, this advocacy thing, using your staff, the office machine, oh, right. et cetera, right. and send it up. That, that's the distinction. Totally, totally understand. Yeah. Uh, Councilor Sherman? Could uh, Chairman meet the town administrator someplace else and ask him? Using, not using? Yeah, because you can actually, you can take a vote to support okay. the ballot okay. question. Yes, as, as, as elected official, the principal, I mean the superintendent and a town administrator can take a position that this is important for the town and, and to advocate for it. Again, it depends how they go about advocating. They couldn't do a mass mail. Go ahead. But, but you can't advocate for in the public building. You can't come and ask. But could the chairman meet? Well, Tell given me. the fact that you can take a vote to support, yeah. and the only place you meet is in a right. public right. building, is the, that's what I'm saying, is these gray areas and nuances in, in these memos, uh, which frankly, uh, Sometimes is the fact that people writing these things haven't actually been down in the trenches to know how things work at the local level. Yeah. So they come out with things that at least appear to have some inconsistencies. Yeah. And which is why, to be safe, you have to act conservatively. And they're both available in advance for advice so that you know, if you know something's coming up and it, it appears to be a gray area and you've read this thing through 10 times and you still can't come up with a straight answer, you can make contact. Uh, good luck with the hybrid form of state government is still in effect, but trying to get them. And they, they probably won't get somebody directly as you would in the old days pre-COVID, but if you leave a message, I would assume they'll get back within a fairly short period of time. And again, I think it's important for everybody to understand that uh, we, we as elected officials have some restrictions, but we also have some latitude to be able to provide information to the public. And whether those informational meetings were held at a school or at town hall, they can be held and our administrators, so to speak, uh, the town administrator as well as superintendent of schools, could be present to provide information to whoever that body is that you'd like to speak to. The caveat being, if you're going to use public facilities, that people with opposing views have, have the right to be there. Absolutely. Or, again, open to the full public. Okay, I'm sorry, I've jumped again here. Uh, Councilor Chandler. 
through you, Mr. Chairman, to the uh, town attorney. Okay, so obviously we're elected, we're not paid. Now, the town gives us our .gov email, which they do pay for. So could I use that paid, our email is paid for by public funds to email um, one Franklin? Oh, would that the be a short number? answer I would say is no. no. Okay, so I just want people to know we can't use it, even our, our right. email. And in fact, uh, they, yeah. they recognize, uh, again with elected officials, if you happen to be an elected official who is also a paid employee of the town, that would add a whole other layer to the restrictions. Okay, I just want to know because I mean, because people can um, request all our emails, so it's up. people have access to yeah. our email. We can't stop the emails from coming in mean, yeah, to us, to us, but we can't respond. Yeah, I just want to know if I can use that email to yeah. answer something. Yeah. I want frankly answer is no. Thank you. Well, you said the safe answer. The oh, safe right. answer. No. I'm sorry, sir. I understood your hypothetical to be you initiating something. If you get something, you can respond to it. I can respond. Oh, you can. Okay. And they actually draw a distinction. Again, it doesn't. That I thought was somewhat artificial. Both, both commissions do this. That you can't. You can respond. Certain people cannot initiate or be proactive, but they can respond if, it, if the inquiry is made to them. So again, because of your elected positions, you don't have to consider that. Jamie doesn't, but as you get lower down the runs, that becomes an issue. Okay. That's it. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Councilor Chandler. Councilor Cormier-Ledger. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And this is a question to Jamie, because this has come up a few times and I haven't known quite how to answer it to people. So. Hypothetically speaking, the council approves putting a override question to the public and the public has the vote and then the public approves it. What is the typical timeline that a resident can then expect when that new amount of money would hit them? Is it six months, is it a year? Because like, I, I haven't been able to tell, I mean, or is that simply a matter of when the vote takes place? It's a little confusing. So. It's a phenomenal question. I mean, all these are great questions, and this is what I had hoped to add, and I hope other folks have them too. It's really up to the council. I mean, you could, for example, I mean, ultimately, it's your decision about when the when the tax when the override would essentially begin. You know, I mean, traditionally, you know, and I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but traditionally, you're going to make a decision effective July 1st, fiscal year 2025, the question would be, will you raise the tax X amount on that date? So that there's some specificity in there. It's not just arbitrary. There has to be a design timeline at which you actually make that effective. It could be January 1st. You can make it October 1st. You can make it a whole series. That's part of our ability to discuss the strategy, and that's why I, myself, and the superintendent have a little more leeway because we can discuss some of the mechanics with the council and the school committee. But you would basically be forthright with folks about when that obligation of that tax would hit. To case in point, this will be a discussion at one of the next meetings on the tri-county. Okay, 
in a sense, we know that obligation is going to come, but the bond, the bonds isn't going to hit for probably four more fiscal years. So we would probably anticipate, say, FY twenty eight, whatever the date is. You know, this would go up by X amount of dollars for what purpose? Um, so the council actually specifies when an override would go effect. It doesn't have to be within two months, six months, eight months. It could be a year away. Um, but ultimately, the council makes that final decision. Okay, and my, my second question, Jamie, because this came up and I didn't know how to answer it either, but apparently some communities that have done overrides have also looked at tier programs based on income eligibility rather than sort of a blanket override to everybody. So can you speak to that for the folks listening? Because I, I haven't been able to answer that with any amount of authority. I think there's an appetite out there for good reason to analyze that. I'm gonna also ask Mark to confirm this so I'm not incorrect. I do not believe you can do that because you're basically raising your tax rate. I'm just round numbers. You're saying the tax rate per thousand is twelve fifty and you wanna to go to thirteen dollars that has a blanket effect on everybody because you're really just raising permanently raising the tax rate and the levy up. And I don't believe there's a mechanism at which to say seniors are exempt, um, income eligibility requirements. Um, I can definitely tell that my right in my peripheral vision in the jacket is ready to speak. Because <laughs> that, that, I mean, just because so, there is a general, lot of that going around. No, but I, no, I think people want to look at it. There's a difference between looking at it, which there's an appetite out there to be sensitive because more affluent folks want to obviously raise taxes and we're sensitive to people with lesser means. I think that's a widespread value in Eastern Mass. Mark? As a general proposition, municipalities have no authority or very little authority to vary the tax law as the legislature establishes it. That being said, I have anecdotal, and maybe you know better than I, that there have been municipalities here and there that have enacted or succeeded in enacting special legislation that allowed them to do other, other more creative things than the tax law strictly applied allowed. So I'm just trying to be very straightforward. I really would not advise the community without further really detailed research. I don't believe that that's possible. So I know we want we want that to happen, but we'd have to go through, you know, Representative Roy will have to talk to, you know, House Council. I mean, we'd have maybe to go through a, a state constitutional maybe issue. Maybe a state constitutional issue. In uh, which case the legislature. And so I, I just want to be clear because I think that is a tan that's a, I'm not saying it's not worth doing. That's up to everybody here. But if we go down that path, you know, that 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 could be a, a lot of time, a lot of work to go down a rabbit hole and realize we can't do it. And the reason why I say that is, if that were possible, we'd see that all the time. Yeah. If that were possible, Plainville, who tried two overrides recently, both failed, we, we would see that information out everywhere. We would, you're in education, you're in, we would all know, oh, that's how you do it. We'd just say, like Community Preservation Act is a great example. In the statute, and y'all did this, you, ex you basically said 100,000 is gonna come off for every property. Those are allowed in statute as local options. I would just encourage everybody to not think that that's possible because I, I wonder if people just get hopeful for something that probably is not likely to, to, to be in a positive. So, uh, and I th sorry, thank you for that information. I think it's important for 
in particular the nine of us and maybe yeah. those in the audience and those listening that are, you know, particularly the one Franklin folks who are doing a lot of wonderful advocacy. I think it's an important talking point to just be able to say when that question comes up that, you know, that there's some further research needed is what I'm hearing you say because it doesn't sound like the answer should be that that's a possibility. I would say the answer is no until further advised based on research that it's plausible. I would just not even entertain it. That's just my, that's just my professional opinion because I think that's clearer to people. Yeah. Because again, if this was possible, widespread across Massachusetts, I guarantee you this would have happened in tons of towns already. And we know how to do it. It would be obvious. And it's just not there. So I don't believe it's possible and I would be clear with people. If someday that was possible, Will that be a victory? Think of it once. If, if it was, we'd already we'd be seeing guidelines right. to do it. Okay, thank you very much for the clarification. Thank you, Councilor Cornelia. Any other Councilor uh, DeLocco? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Well, you kind of, uh, Ted kind of brought up my question because I'm, you know, it's all well and good. And obviously, we know we need, it's a need, but. I mean, I'm scared for my seniors. You, you know what I mean? I mean, you're gonna go. We're gonna hit them four or five times coming up. We're gonna hit them with Tri County stormwater. We just hit them with the interceptor we came up with. I mean, it's you know I don't want to push seniors out of Franklin. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's very you know that's scary for the nine of us because we, we do represent them. Um, and I was hoping there was like you said. I was hoping. There was like a little break we could give the seniors and stuff like that on people in need. Um, Jamie, when we did the road one, what year was that? 14. 14, was it that long ago? 2014. Wow, I can't uh, believe that. Eight, that, that. Eight. Was it eight? Remember? It was one and a half million. Yeah, one and a half. One and a half million. I feel terrible, right? It was like 58, 42, somewhere around there against, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I just, I'm just, you know, somebody that's going into retirement, myself, I'm scared. I'll be honest with you, I'm scared. You know, but if it's a need, it's a need. You know. Any other counselors? Anyone in the audience? Please come forward. Max is on a mission. On a mission. My name is Maxwell Smart. Maxwell getting smart. I live at uh, 127 Central Park Terrace, Franklin, Massachusetts. Um, so I, I was actually a little bit confused because every December, in the past two Decembers, and December after that, December after that, you've had in front of you a property tax exemption that you could have voted on to give everyone a blanket exemption and make property taxes more progressive, help people who are poor. I don't understand why that can't be coupled with an override. If you vote for that in December, say, hey, we're gonna give poor people a tax break, and then say, hey, you know, maybe we could raise the tax levy after that, or you could even put it on the ballot. You know, you could, as a committee, I don't know if you could put it on the ballot with an override because you're, you have it in December you're voting on anyway, um, and a lot of things that you vote on can be put on the ballot, I think. So I, I don't really see why that can't be done because if you do it every December and you vote it down, and I'm like, what's going on? So, um, so I, I hope you can reconsider it when it comes up for a vote this December. Um, and if it is something you're, you're interested in doing and helping some people out who, who do need the relief, 
And I would add that you know, sort of pay, pay, helping people in need of health education because people who, uh, the biggest uh, predictor of MCAS scores is actually the percentage of people in a school who are low income, mm -hmm. as well as crime. We talk about Franklin being the safest town, help people who are low income, you have less crime. So I really think that um, going forward, you, you should consider coupling that with an override or at least voting on it uh, separately if you have to vote on it separately. So thank you. Thank you, James. Really quickly, so to Max's point um, with the tax rate hearing, I just want to make sure, you know, Max's values, I think, are shared by a lot of people, right. including myself, right? If there were ways that we could try to shift it a little bit to give people help, and I just want to illustrate, number one, that's a Board of Assessors project. And I can assure you, and I know that there'll be some people who will not like this answer, a project of shifting tax burden, I'm sorry, is just as difficult and hard as an override. It is not as simple as just raising your hand up and down. The impact downriver, well it is, you could just say yes or no. But the downriver impact that people have on that is substantial. And people really need to understand that whatever that shift is, this is the same thing as a single tax rate versus a dual tax rate. We had a great question here at the last meeting. Why don't we just have a dual tax rate and just raise more money off businesses. That's not how that works. It, is, it does not bring in any new revenue. I'm not against shifting a burden you know, from, from, from lower uh, income people to higher. I just think the Board of Assessors need to lead an omnibus study to make sure everybody in Franklin knows how that shift happens. Um, I'm sorry, I, just, I wish I could say that it was as easy as it's, as it's portrayed. It is not. And once you make that decision, just like a dual, just like we've had with a single and dual tax rate every year, if people are up in arms, to go backward is even more difficult. So when you make that decision, and I know Brookline made it, I think they, they played some of this recently, um, you know, the last several years, they've tried to analyze this. Um, Brookline also happened to be, as Mark referenced earlier, the town that referentially just had a story where they broke the office and campaign finance <laughs> so I don't know, there's a coincidence there, but the Board of Assessors has to get engaged in this issue and they have to be consulted and my guess is, is the Principal Assessor and the Board would say you need to really go out and make sure you know the full impact throughout the community on that shift. Thank you, Jim. Now, uh, in the back. Okay. Ruth A. All right. So um, I just wanted, I, just, I took a lot of notes, and so I have just a couple of follow up questions. Um, I'm glad you clarified the email thing because I was going to just ask if there was a workaround, whether you can offer up your personal email to somebody to say, you know, if you want to have a further discussion. Um, I think it's Cambridge that just passed the progressive tax, uh, like the first 200,000 gets skipped and then it's like after, but. Um, one thing I wanted to mention while Nancy's here, um, most people know now that I'm, I'm running this override committee, um, and then I just pulled paper for school committee, uh, to run for school committee, so I wanted to make sure that I sort of he headed this off, and we have called the Office of Campaign Finance and verified, and Nancy called the Office of Campaign Finance and verified, there is no conflict at all, so I just wanted to, to check say that. the Ethics Commission um, as well. Okay, we'll check with them as well, but um, all the feedback I've gotten was, if you were running a PAC, no, and ballot question committee, yes. So that was the 
differential. Um, but I will check because I will, you know, give up one or the other. You know, um, I want to be clear. I just I think we talked a lot about what people can't do, um, and I I've, I've noticed just being out and about and advocating for this that um, there's there's people that are gun shy, especially you know the municipal local employees that maybe don't feel they have the OCPF as a resource. Um, I call the OCPF probably every day, and uh, I'm on like a first name basis with, with Jason over there, and um, we're like just to make sure that everything is above board. I don't want to make the same mistakes I Brookline did. So um, I think that that you know don't feel like you're calling like the DMV or something, and you're going to be in like a queue. It's not as bad lately. I've noticed um, to get a response or like an email response. It's usually like within the same day. Um, uh, teachers especially uh, get very gun shy about this. I had a teacher ask me if it was okay for her to put a one Franklin magnet on her car. Um, that's her private property. She lives in town. She's still a resident. So as long as you're not in the school handing them out to the parents as they pick up the kids, you can certainly drive around town. And when you get out of school, if you want to knock on doors and give information out, you can do all of that. You can be very pro override. So I just I. I just want to make a point of some of the things you can do because I think people are very nervous about disrupting the process but there are people who really especially the teachers you know we went to bat for them this year so you know they want to they want to show up and and make sure that all the departments aren't suffering because of you know having to fund the schools too um, so yeah so that that's all I really have right now so thank you Ruthann brings up a great point, right? And this is just kind of almost political science 102, 201. You know, employees on their own personal time on weekends can go hold signs at the village mall, they can hand out stickers, you know, they can go to meetings, they can advocate, they can uh, cheer, you know, a whole variety of traditional political, um, you know, activities. Um, we're living in a, a different world. Um, I don't think Instagram and X, Twitter, um, formerly known as the artist, formerly known as Prince, uh, you know, all these different things didn't exist 10 years ago. And I think everyone is a little gun shy. I think that will loosen up as education happens, which is the point of tonight's uh, meeting. Uh, Ruthann is totally right, municipal employees. There's also today, a lot of employees don't feel like they want to get in the middle of things or they just want to do their job. And so there's, a, there's just now dozens and hundreds of varying opinions and I think Mark pointed out something that's, that's valid. Um, and you know, Ruthanne, you've done a great job getting up to speed. I asked you to become an expert in this, and you were on your way if you're not already there. And I mean that. Like, you've done an amazing job in the last few months of, of becoming knowledgeable on these things. Um, you know, people are just going to slowly but surely warm up to what they can do. Um, and uh, some people may stay restrained. And I think in today's kind of more conservative field, um, what point is, is we don't you don't want to make the unforced error <laughs> and and that's what happened in Brooklyn. I don't think there's any malicious intent anywhere on that. That's just a, a, a slow it down and they just made a, an error because everyone's in a rush. And I think um, I'm hopeful as these sessions go on and more community conversations happen people will understand and maybe feel comfort level among themselves about what they can and cannot do. And of course the veteran members of of our staff probably know these rules really well. Uh, being through these things, being part of the MTA or the union environment, uh, 
from their associations as well. And, and I encourage everybody to go through their own associations like the MTA, PFFM, all those organizations provide resources as you probably know uh, to give guidance on these things as well. So thank you. I can, I can also kind of just add the, the one caveat to what I said, you know, outside your own hours, if you are a municipal paid employee, fundraising is the big right. no-no. So right. don't solicit money, don't be asking for money, don't be selling things, like none of that, but like advocacy in your own time, that's okay. That seems to be like the consensus. No one likes fundraising anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> so nobody's gonna step up and, and call banks, people to know like call banks, so yeah. Thank you. It's a tough ask. <laughs> Me? Okay, yeah. just making sure there's no Yeah, no, sorry. Okay. Um, Jane Calloway, Trip, 607 Maple Street. Couple quick things. For a lot of people don't know, and I'm gonna pick random numbers because I'm tired and I don't want to do math. Okay. Okay, if we had an override and it passed, we'll use the numbers you did. 1250 is what we get right now is our tax rate and we raise it to 13. What most people aren't aware of is if we're doing an override for school and we do the override and it passes and just again, because I'm picking really no numbers, the tax increase gives the town an additional $10,000. It only goes to the school for that fiscal year that it's allocated for. After the fiscal year, that money, it can be reallocated wherever the town sees fit. So getting an override for the school, they're only getting the money. They're not guaranteed to get that every year going forward because in the past, they never have. It depends on how it's written, exactly. I believe. It depends on how the ballot question is written. Two and a half was amended to allow for specialized services going forward. So it is, it stays, if it's done under, there's multiple paragraphs under Prop two and a half, so you have to pick the appropriate one. It, there is one where it specifies it's for a particular operating purpose going forward, and it stays there. And through Mr. Chairman, that list that I provided shows why these slides, these suggestions are up there. They may not be legal requirements, but if you look at that list, almost all of those overrides on that list in the last five years, really in history, are very targeted. Why? Voters want to know yeah. if they're going to go raise their property yeah. taxes and they're going to spend $2 million on schools, they're going to want to make sure that money is for schools forever. And quite frankly, I'll just jump out in front of it, that's the right thing to do. <laughs> if somebody, if we did roads like and it passed, and then two years later people said, well, I raised my taxes for roads, and boy, two years later they just shoved it all over to someplace else, people don't get happy with so um, I understand your question, Jane. You know, it's a great, great question, but the vast majority, overwhelming majority of overrides are specifically targeted because I think, as Tom keeps on his head, you've been in those rooms, right? Yes, do people want to know what you're spending the money on, Chair Mercer? Yes, they do. <laughs> and you best spend it there. And you best spend it there. Right? Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing, as far as the Councilor Delaco said, be scared that you're retiring. I'm on, I'm on disability because of the cervical spine issues. My husband is retired. The taxes have gone up. The water has gone up. Utilities, not your fault, have gone up. Groceries, again, not your fault, have gone up. The cost of living has increased at such a rapid rate since 2020. I know five families personally that have left 
they can't make it. And I've had to contemplate whether or not I was gonna sell my family home because if everything keeps going up, I'm going to sink. We can't afford it. The schools may need the money and I have nothing against the schools. I have a granddaughter in them. But people can't afford it. And that is gonna be the biggest problem because the other thing is when you raise that, we'll just say from 1250 to 13, the next time they go to do the excess, they started that 13 and now we're even higher. Where next time they go to the assess, right now we're at 1250. So maybe when the gods of the government decide we're gonna raise everybody, we go to 13. But if we start at 13, now we're at 1350. My taxes can't keep going up. My water bill, the utilities, I can't. Fixed income, my fixed income doesn't keep getting increased and I don't have the ability to go get a job because of the disability and because of my personal situations. And there's a lot of people that are in those exactly the way I am right now. So when you put that question or vote to put that thing seriously, I know the schools need their money for whatever their justifications are, but as a whole, I don't think the majority of the people in the town can handle the increases. So just really consider it. Thank you. I won't keep you here. Sure. Um, I just want to reiterate that um, when we're trying to, when Franklin is trying to put this together for the whole town, we just saw the DPW presentation, and I, I just want to make sure that it doesn't get just divisive <laughs> in town. It's we, we really know that the schools really have tried to say. Yes, we need money. Yes, we're pretty, we're getting desperate. But to see the other departments sacrifice for the schools is not what we're hoping for either. So I just want to say that. And um, I also just, I didn't want this, this, I knew this wasn't going to be a debate about the override. There's plenty of time to be talking about that. <laughs> but I, I just don't want to leave with an air of be scared. I also, you know, I want to talk about a number that, I spoke with Sudo Snap about, and just to throw like a random number out, let's say the number was five million, and the median home price in Franklin is five eighty. That would be roughly three hundred dollars a year no. for people. No, no. we come up with. Seriously, you know this too really well. Two things. Yeah. I'd be. I just everyone we're has to be We're going to have a calculator. Yeah, on the we website. have to be very, very, very cautious. Very throwing numbers number. around. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, but so. I will tell you, I know from my own tri just from the the, the discussions about Tri County, yeah, and where they're at, you know, within the last ten yards, that number's way off. For a five million dollar override, so, that number's way off. So In terms of the actual household impact, off which way? With with Tri County, was it? Okay. Yeah. Too yeah was too Tri County twenty six dollars per hundred thousand? That's what Jen D'Angelo had told me. So I so, was kind of working off that if it was two and a half million and whatever. Right, so, so Tri-County is a little different um, only because it, they'll be borrowing for the length of the project and yeah. then you get an assessment price based on your population that's there. It's split okay. up proactive, prorated. And so, um, and even them, you know, they've been trying to keep the numbers light because they want to wait for MSBA and whatever. But I'm just, I know that that number is low. presented is definitely low. I thought it was I around seven, but I, I, I just want to know everyone to know that when and if we get to a number, 
there will be a calculator. You will know specifically before you vote what, what will impact you personally. She's not right about with, that. Without question, we right. will. And, and I think we're, we may be just getting a little yeah. bit ahead of where we need to be at this point. Because what tonight was all about was to provide the council as well as the community with some of the do's some of the do's and don'ts that we can or can't do mm -hmm. as elected officials, as town employees. This conversation will continue. There will be more questions, and there will be many more meetings before we get to the point where we're talking about a specific override. Uh, if and when we come to that point, right now we're just looking at the schools are looking out for the next three to five years. Town administrations looking out the next three or five years. They're going to come back with some wants or needs. I, I should say needs rather than wants uh, from the schools as well as the town, DPW, police, fire, all of those. And then it's going to be up to the council to look at all of those things and. You know, we all know we're never going to be able to afford them all. So we're going to then have the very difficult decision of deciding what a good number is. What is that number? And how is it allocated? And what is a, for all intents and purposes, a passable number? Right. A number that the nine of us feel is passable because ultimately that decision falls on this body. Mm -hmm. So, but we're a ways away from that yet. Uh, what we're trying to do is provide as much information as we possibly can. What I was looking to get out of tonight was, you know, what we can do as elected officials, what we can't do. Uh, I, and I think it's very important for us to know that we can go out there. We can provide information for these people. We can tell them, we can tell the different groups what's going on, what our needs are, uh, what, whether it's the school needs or whether it's the town, uh, the town part of government needs. We can go out and do that. Uh, there are some more restrictions for paid employees and wanted to get some of that information out there. Uh, so this is, again, the beginning stages. Uh, we had a very, what I felt was a very strong opening joint budget subcommittee meeting where there were a lot, as Jamie alluded to earlier on, there were a lot of people in the room. There were a lot of good questions. There were a, was a lot of good information brought forward. Uh, and I think, to a degree, there was a lot of eye-opening uh, information for people. Uh, that was the first step. This is the second step. We will continue to forge forward because, as everyone knows, you know, uh, inflation's going this way, uh, and we can only increase taxes to one and a half percent. And inflation is 6%, 8% a year. 
if, if the town is comfortable, and I think this is the ultimate question for the community, that's uh, when that time comes, we'll be, are you happy with the level of services being provided by police and fire, by schools, and if you are, this is a cost associated with it. If not, then it'd be reductions. So again, getting ahead of ourselves, but we're starting the process and we will continue to move forward and forge ahead uh, because we need to know what the next three to five years are gonna look like. And the community needs to know that. I'm sorry. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Yeah. Uh, Rob Bacher, 17 Russell Street. Um, I'm a proud educator here in Franklin. Um, I want to thank you for all the support. And I just want to reiterate something that Ruthann said. Um, as an educator here in Franklin, I do not want, nor do I expect other departments to sacrifice for mm -hmm. me. We are all in this together. Mm -hmm. And we need to go forward, as you just said, together. Um, I would also say, let's not be scared Let's be bold and creative. Thank you. Thank you. And again, I ended the Joint Budget Subcommittee with the same phrase that I think we will all use as we move forward. We are one Franklin. We need to look at this together as an entire community, and that's how we move forward. So, uh, Jamie was this. There was one hand up by Selena, but she just oh, she clapped. Oh, <laughs> thank you, Eagle Eye. <laughs> Obviously, my eyesight is quiet. Those are certainly young eyes. <laughs> <laughs> what TV screen? She's laughing for Rob. Okay. I thought Rob was well spoken. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. That's all. Uh, okay. Uh, is there any other question or comment from counselors, people in the Council Chambers or people out there in Zoom. Okay, thank you one and all. Thank you for coming out, sitting through a lengthy meeting. I'm sure you learned an awful lot about the DPW that maybe you didn't know, but we thank you for uh, being here and sitting through uh, the presentations. Moving forward, the legislation for action. We have one last piece, resolution 23-48 appropriation of 35,000 from statewide opioid settlement fund clerk will read the resolution thank you mr chairman uh, to the chair the town of franklin resolution 23-48 appropriation statewide opioid settlement fund total requested 35,000 the purpose to transfer the appropriate transfer and appropriate from the statewide opioid settlement fund in the amount of $35,000 to pay for a one-year contract with Interface Referral Service beginning on July 1st, 2023 and terminating on June 30th, 2024. Motion be it moved and voted by the Town Council of the Town of Franklin that the sum of $35,000 be transferred and appropriated as indicated above from the Statewide Opioid Settlement Fund for the stated purpose. This resolution shall become effective according to the provisions of the Town of Franklin Home Rule Charter. Move resolution 28-48. Second. Motion in the second. 
Discussion, Jamie? Uh, through Mr. Chairman, says just so everybody knows, this is a required two-thirds vote because it's a stabilization fund transfer. Um, as I mentioned during the budget hearing, we continue to work through the year to try to find creative and, you know, maybe not as bold as Rob was thinking, but just some sort of outside-the-box thinking of ways to uh, increase the school's bottom line. So um, this is an eligible expense. It's for one year. Um, and the William James Institute um, has been embedded in the school department for mental health services for a long time. It's always been available to the community, um, but as the superintendent I've talked about, if it's in the school budget, it's, it, it's hard for the community to sometimes see that, right? And so this is an eligible expense. Ultimately saves $35,000 off their bottom line from their expense budget, which should save uh, some resources to the schools. And you know, I know there are some in the community that um, have been happy with the service. There are some that have not been happy with the service. And I know that our staff is looking forward to including Callie at the police department and some of the other social service coordinators for the town are curious about if it was if there was a service that was available to the community and was promoted a little bit more, would more people take advantage of it? Um, and so um, this was to me and us just kind of low-hanging fruit working with the superintendent to try to do kind of a win-win, if you will. And it has no tax impact, because it's opioid settlement money. So, um, you know, and uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, at some point in um, the fall, I'm gonna gather together the department heads to deal with social service, as well as like maybe seven or eight of the other biggest stakeholders to deal with human services in town, um, to try to get a group together to try to really do a better job coordinating uh, the community's response to human service-related issues. Um, there is a lot of duplicity. Um, there is a lack of connectivity. Um, and I'm going to get that group together and just see what their thoughts are. Um, and this is just one part of it. So, um, you know, everything takes a little while, as you said, Mr. Chairman, to process. But at least tonight, we'll be able to save them 35000 We love no tax impact. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say that as much as possible. I don't get to say it. We want you to as well. I know. <laughs> uh, questions and comments? So you have oh, uh, Max? No counselors, Max. You have a... Max is night. Nice. I'm not overstaying my welcome. <laughs> my name is Max Romanchello, 127 Central Park Terrace. I've actually used Interface. I, I actually didn't end up using who they uh, selected for me, uh, but they are a very good service, and I just wanted to say that more people should go and use them if they're looking for uh, someone in the mental health field. Um, they, uh, they have a lot of... Um, they're really able to connect. I mean, the insurance, you know, Mass Health is like completely useless when it's try, trying to find people. So they're a really good resource. So I highly recommend them. No matter your interest, to check them out. Thank you. Thank you, Max. Thank you. Any other questions or comments? Seeing none, the vote will come on the motion to approve resolution 23-48, a two-thirds majority is required. All those in favor, signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion carried. Thank you. Okay, town administrator's report. Rain, rain, go away, coming back some other day. <laughs> Just sick of the rain. Yeah, All set, Mr. Chairman. Okay, subcommittee reports. Uh, Capital, I don't believe you have that. DDC, you have me. Uh, Councilor Hamlet. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Yes, the EDC met. Yeah. Um, 
tonight to discuss. Um, uh, Brutus actually came in and he's worked up a sidewalk map for us to talk about what should be, should we, we've, we've talked about this multiple times at the council level, it's one of our goals, should we um, make, should we enforce a sidewalk cleaning, with snow cleaning sidewalk um, by law? And so we um, talked about it a little bit, we'll talk about it again. Uh, the town administrator is gonna add some more streets possibly to it and um, different areas where, where we saw that, um, that map where a lot of people walk and that's the really important parts of, of the town that need to be kept clean. Um, and I think that's, that was it, that was it. Thank you. Uh, let's see. Master plan. Master plan committee, uh, do you wanna give an update? Uh, sure. Council Frangelo. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so master plan has been meeting. We've now started our uh, subcommittee. <coughs> Um, each subcommittee is really doing deep dives uh, into a whole bunch of different areas. All of this is on the master plan uh, website, but there's going to be a whole bunch of meetings for the next uh, year and a half. Um, so keep uh, keep up to date with what you're interested in, um, and more information will be coming out. The next full master plan meeting is next Wednesday, August 23rd. Time at seven. Great. 6.30. Okay, perfect. Uh, let's see, budget subcommittee, we had a joint budget subcommittee meeting uh, and it was very, very well attended. Uh, we talked about uh, many different things, uh, mostly getting the first conversations about uh, the process for an override uh, and what the next three to five years lookout uh, might be. And we asked uh, the administrations, and I know uh, in the town part of the government, they've uh, a little further along maybe than uh, the school part of the government is because, in fact, we're you know, they're dealing with new superintendent, uh, new business manager now, so uh, it's gonna take a little bit more time for them to get that three to five year plan done. Then our hope is to bring the, um, the group, the joint budget subcommittee back together again, uh, talk more about the process. Uh, we're gonna meet again in, uh, I think it was September, so late September, early October, and then uh, they won't have the, they won't have the plan done by then, I'm sure. But we'll at least continue the process and continue the discussion, looking out three to five years as to uh, what the needs are for the entire community, uh, because that's what we're going to be dealing with, and I. Uh, applaud everybody that came to the joint budget. The council chambers was full. There wasn't a seat anywhere. The uh, Zoom, we had two pages of Zoom. <laughs> so it, it was just a great informational meeting. Uh, I wish we could get that kind of attendance at all of our meetings, but uh, I do understand that, but I think it's important as we proceed with these discussions with the Joint Budget Subcommittee that 
uh, we get as many people to come to those meetings uh, and to help spread the word to the community what the needs are and what the needs might be as we look out three to five years. Uh, because there, as you saw from the DPW tonight, some of those numbers are daunting uh, for sure. So anyway, uh, that's what's going on with the uh, Joint Budget Subcommittee. Uh, Gatra, Councilor Frondola. Uh, yeah, I guess we didn't meet, um, but in lieu of meeting, they did another uh, administrative report. I'd say the big uh, things to note, the state budget increased RTA, you know, Regional uh, Transit Authority funding a good amount. Uh, we don't know how much Gatra is going to get uh, of that yet or what we can use it for. Uh, but that's exciting. You know, so that'll be an increase in improved services. Um, and then one of my requests uh, is happening, uh, which was uh, doing calculations of how much it costs per mile to run all the different services that they run um, and how much we make per mile. Uh, they didn't have that number before, and, and uh, they're great to do that now. <laughs> it's called mean minds. Mean Called me keeping them on their toes. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, thank you, uh, Councilor Frangelo. Davis, their reuse committee, I know they met. Councilor Pellegrini. Oh, met this week and we didn't have the crowds that you had, but we had, I think, 20 people that was in the audience. And um, we had some very good ideas from people on our committee as to the uses for the school. Um, certainly nothing was decided upon, but um, we're going to have another meeting and invite some of the people um, from some of the committees in that that were mentioned to do something with the school. So um, I, I think it was a very good meeting that way. Um, and Jamie is going to get in touch with those people who are at the Musical chairs. Yeah, it's going to uh, get in touch with them. For a second meeting, I think that we're moving right along and we're planning um, to have the open house. And it may not be for a little while yet. Yeah, you're stupid. Thank you, Councilor Pelagri. I think it was as well. I was able to sit in. So, uh, let's see. Last one, uh, Police Station Building Committee. Uh, first meeting is next week. So, uh, we'll report at the next uh, uh, council meeting. Okay, moving on. Future agenda items. Councilor Cormier-Ledger. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Just since he was here tonight, I think we should take President Elmore up on his offer to give us a Dean. Uh, he was already on the agenda. Perfect. We tried. We it was too late to get him on to tonight, so uh, we asked him uh, if he uh, wanted to come and just speak under citizens' comments, and then we put him on the agenda for uh, September 6th. So Fantastic. he's already on the agenda. <laughs> Councilor Chandler. Nothing at this time. Councilor Plague. Councilor Sheridan. Councilor Frangelo. Councilor. Hello. No, actually, nothing at this time. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Councilor Delarco. Okay. Councilor Comments. Councilor Sheridan. Yeah, I got a big one. So, my neighbors are Kyla and Stephanie. Busy mm -hmm. at them, and uh, they're very happy with the playground. And the incoming second graders at their school, I believe Oak Street, is having a fundraiser. 
on the common from 11 to 1 on Sunday. And they're doing the raise money for the Pitt Hopkins Foundation. And it was the kid's idea. So I'm going to encourage everybody to go if you can. Actually, get by some lemonade. Thank you, Councilor Sheridan. Councilor Frangelo? Uh, office hours tomorrow, Senior Center, morning at 8.30. Uh, you have a chance to get down to the farmer's market. Uh, <laughs> just, they're a blast. There's music. There's a ton of people. It gets bigger every time. Uh, I'll, I'll save the exciting one about this week uh, to Councilor Hamlin. Uh, uh, movie. Like I mean, it was, yeah. Farmer's market into music, into a movie. It was, it was just a great day. Um, uh, Every year, this is my third year in a row working with the downtown businesses to put up a, a story walk uh, in their windows. Um, and so for the next few weeks, uh, there's a story um, about doing your part um, to help the planet. Uh, and you can walk down uh, Main Street, look at all the shops, uh, and read that story. Uh, starts at uh, FSPA, it goes all the way to Franklin Nutrition, so along Main Street. Uh, there's also going to be a story walk popping up on uh, the rail trail in the next few weeks. Thank you, Councillor Frangelo. Councillor Comey Ledger. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. A few things. Uh, Jamie, can you look into the concerns tonight brought up by Mrs. Tripp on Maple Street? Please? Yep. Uh, thank you. Um, one of the other comments that were that was brought up. We we do. We do final water readings and we do final water inspections for home of a certain age. So I wonder if we can ask Brutus and his team when they do that, maybe they could check water pressure. Just as a, before the home changes hands to another owner, if it's a simple enough thing. Um, when I've gone to final water readings and final water inspections, they're, they're on site to tell the homeowner the things that need to happen to the home for it to change hands anyway. So perhaps if that is an issue in older homes, that could just be added to their checklist and alleviate some of the concerns raised tonight. And I would just, uh, on a great note, I want to thank uh, Jen Levine from the Safe Coalition. She came and spoke. Uh, at a meeting I was at Monday, uh, brought to light uh, a lot of great programs that they're doing, not just for those suffering from substance abuse, but people suffering at all levels. Uh, and she was very excited to tell us that they got a $40,000 grant uh, to be able to help LGBT youth in particular in town that are struggling with depression that could lead to um, substance abuse and other challenges. So they're really trying to head things off before they become a problem, and I just want to commend her and her team for all the great work they're doing. Thank you, Councilor Cornelia. Councilor Chandler. How are you, Mr. Chairman? Uh, I just want to thank one Franklin for still showing up, bringing people, and it was good to hear the other side tonight, too. I like the both sides. It's good to hear everything, you know, for the people at home. Um, I did get one email um, through you, Mr. Chairman, to Jamie. At the high school, those six brand new um, vehicle chargers, did we pay for that? And if so, do we make money off of that? No. Okay. Um, those are, 
I'd have to double check whether it was grant money through DOER or whether it was from uh, some of the net metering credits through National Grid. Um, but like the ones back here, we can't, um, you know, we can't charge for them. Um, there's different regulations with with the funding source, and when they come from utility companies, um, we can't do that. And I don't think that was the intention of why they were put up there. But I'll double check in terms of whether it was. National grid that paid for them, or whether the net, you know, it's from the solar farm net metering credits. I think the gist of the email was that oh. did it come out of the school budget? You saying? Oh no! Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, it did not come out of the school budget. Okay, great. They would not pay. For <laughs> thank you, thank you, Councilor Chandler. Councilor Pellegrini. No, I don't have anything for tonight. <laughs> Councilor Hamlin. First of all, I'd like to say thank you for stepping in at the last minute to fill in as clerk <laughs> oh you're welcome thank you um i hope i did a good enough job you absolutely <laughs> okay um we're I, all like glad now <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh all these things have already been said uh, offers hours friday at the farmers market we will have our annual zucchini races and it's really a blast everyone um should show up and bring a zucchini car. Think of Pinewood Derby. Um, there's like voting and, and then we, it's just a, a really a blast. So um, the AgCom, thank you to the Ag Agricultural Commission for putting this on. It's really a lot of fun. Um, the, the information about what the Safe Coalition is doing, um, Councilor, <coughs> sorry. <coughs> That's like amazing what they do, but also there's an awareness, overdose awareness um, event coming up on the 31st. Maybe Councilor DeLarco knows more about that at what time. Um, and that is all. Thank you, Councilor Hamlin. Councilor DeLarco. Uh, thanks. A couple things. Uh, yeah, we do have that on August 31st. Yeah, it's, we have that every year. Uh, we'll probably be up at the common. We need to put the flags up at the common mm -hmm. too. So, um, Jamie, a couple of things. Can you just check in? I forgot to ask Brutus tonight. Uh, two people up 48 King Street and was that my next door? 50? Donna. Yeah, yeah Donna. Yeah. They, they got a, a manhole in front. And it's either a manhole or a sewer hole. And the, the tractor trailers come down in the middle of the night. It's loose. So they hit it and it bangs and it wakes them up at night. I meant to call Brutus, but I forgot. But he, when he mentioned it tonight, I said, oh, I forgot. I gotta, I gotta mention it, you know what I mean? So if you could please, thank yeah. you, I appreciate that. Um, a couple of things at Safe Coalition, obviously we do do a lot with mental illness now. We do a lot, a lot of different things. We have grown a lot in five years. Um, I just want people to know that we're doing, we are doing a great job, but we're not, we're going up one step and coming down three. I'm gonna be honest with you, I did a tour today. I did a tour in Pennsylvania this summer and I did a tour at Bass and Cash this week. Um, it's really, really bad. I walked around Bass and Cash and there were four people with needles in their arm in the middle, middle of the day just walking around like they had nothing and they still had the rubber band wrapped around their arm. And that place is better than Philly. I mean, it is, it's, it's really, really bad. 
And I mean, we're doing everything we can, but just so you know, I, I think people think that it's going away a little bit. It really is not going away. It's bad. And, and a lot of it does come into mental illness. You know, it's, I don't know if we're giving too much pressure on the kids. I don't know what we're doing. You know, it's something's, whatever we're doing, we have to revamp it because do something different. We have to do something different because we have come a long way, but we, like I say, we're going up one step and coming down three. So, if you know somebody that's struggling with addiction, please um, reach out to them, get us into the safe coalition and stuff. Because it, I was shocked, I really was. I was, I was shocked. Thank you, Councilor Dorico. Uh, probably my most important comment of the evening is. Happy 39th birthday to Councillor Pellegrini. You're almost over the hill. <laughs> Catching up to Kobe. Got a long ways to go. But I want to thank uh, everyone for coming out this evening. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I know there were a lot of school people here this evening. Very much appreciate them being here. and. Uh, taking part in getting information uh, that we need to get out to all of the community, not just the elected officials, not just the employees, but the, to the entire town. Uh, so, you know, these next few years are going to be difficult years. Uh, yeah. We know they are, and uh, the better and the more planning we can do, uh, the better off we're going to be. So. Uh, please get involved if you have any questions. There's many people here that you can call and be more than happy to help and direct you in the right direction if they don't have the answers. But uh, please get involved. Uh, and with that, I would entertain a motion to adjourn. Non-debatable. All those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed? We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. And by the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.